0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Under the Lights. It's been a while since our last one, but we are coming back
1: with a bang.
0: My name is Tom Murray.
1: My name is Callum Wilson. This is Under the Lights and we're off to Kingsland Corner.
0: Yeah, we are back. It has been a bit of a while since the last one, but uh, a lot has happened in that time. Callum, I take it you have, well, you've, you've moved. How's that been for you?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's good. We've uh, we've been here for uh, over a month now, but uh, the, the issue in, in why I haven't been able to bring any audible content is because uh, people kept messing me around with the bloody Wi-Fi. So that's all in now after trying uh, a couple of different companies. It will amaze you how difficult it is to get... Known broadband suppliers to uh, to install your broadband, but yeah, after hours and hours of being on hold and being cut off and, and everything else, first world problems. So yeah, we're we we're, we're all good. We're all set up and ready to go with this with uh, this next podcast. It's been a good chance though for us to um, trial a bit of the article writing, the sort of the written format that we've been talking about bringing to our, our listeners and readers. Now I guess. Uh, and I've had a lot of fun in doing that. We've done a couple of write ups on uh, on some games and it's coincided quite nicely with with some real form and and for for a moment, Saints being on the top of the league. so uh, and although we haven't been able to wax lyrical about that through our podcast, we've been able to write a little bit about it and that's that's been some good fun. But I've missed chatting to you, all things football, things saints, and I'm uh, really looking forward to this one
0: yeah it is fantastic to be back we've been looking forward to this one for a while and as you said we've had the blog for those who have read it and had a look at it thank you very much we hope that you've enjoyed it just to let you know that since we've been starting the blog you know Saints have been top of the league it's been a completely fantastic form I think it's been three wins on the bounce as well so we're obviously the cause of that so we should just continue writing articles and we'll have Champions League qualifications sorted out by Christmas anyway on to today's episode, Callum, because we've got ourselves a bit of a coup, haven't we? We've got ourselves a bit of a guest.
1: Yes, yeah, so we're delighted to be joined by a man who's played 145 games for St. Scott. 11 goals, a few more yellow cards, and he's, <laughs> uh, he's, lifted, he's lifted a trophy at Wembley along with, uh, with Super Calvin Davis, as well as captain and aside from minus 10 points in league one remember those days all the way to back-to-back promotions and into the premier league not a bad few years at the club thanks very much for joining us dean hammond i
2: think that's the uh, best introduction i've ever had so uh, <laughs> i appreciate oh. that thank you very much made me feel good on a, on a is it choose on a tuesday night so yeah <laughs> thank you for that Oh, good stuff. We'll
1: uh, we'll finish it there then. Brilliant, <laughs>
0: Dean. It's uh, it's great to have you. Although I have to say, about an hour ago, we were thinking, would this actually go ahead? Because I was just finishing up work, and uh, under my desk, I hear a bit of crunching. I look down and see that my dog has eaten through the internet cable. So, <laughs> yeah. So for the next half an hour or so, I'm making, I'm turning the house into a bit of a tip, trying to find a spare cable. Thankfully, got one. As you can see, we're we're live now. But those half. That half an hour was uh, not the stress that you need, as you say, on a Tuesday early in the week. But no, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, we're we're thrilled to have you on.
2: No, thank you very much. It must be uh, it must be one of those days, Tom, because um, I went to do my fitness um, uh, platform this morning, my session, which is live, and we had a power cut this morning. So I was in candlelight in the morning, having breakfast with the kids, thinking, I don't think this is going to happen this morning. But
1: lucky enough, the electricity came on just in time. So. Might be one of those days, I think. You know what? I've 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 just had a message come through from my dad about a minute before you said that, saying uh, he sent me a video saying the power's out. So I'm hoping <laughs> we'll I'm hoping we'll be all right. <laughs> Fingers crossed. How, how have you How have you been? How's How things been? Uh, obviously, we're in an international break, so in terms of, of football, trying to keep ourselves busy. Do you watch much of the England stuff, or are you uh, are you like us itching for the Saints? I'm, I'm itching
2: for the, the Southampton games to come back. I'm itching for the, the Premier League to come back. Um, international football just doesn't feel like the same anymore. I, I, it's difficult for me to have a huge opinion on it because obviously I've never played international football, so I don't feel quite qualified enough to say that, but... It doesn't have the same excitement for me anymore. I think there's too many friendlies. I sound bad saying this. Too many players get opportunities. It don't. It doesn't quite feel as privileged as it, it should do playing for your country anymore. So I watch the highlights. I look out for the results, obviously, because I'm very passionate. I love my country, um, and I want England to do well. But I don't. I don't sit there and watch the 90 minutes um, like I used to, unless a few players I know or played with are playing. Um, then I take more of an interest. But no, I think they're they're playing okay as a team, and uh, all accounts they played well the other night against Belgium, but lost. Um,
1: so I take an interest, but I'm looking forward to Southampton coming back. Yeah. yeah, it seems to be a game on every day at the moment, Dean. So it's, it's, it's trying to find a night off from the football, yeah. I think. So, uh, and and uh, typically when Saints are playing so well. We play on the Friday before the internationals and we're not back until the Monday afterwards. There's a good 17 games, but we've got plenty of Premier League football coming up. You, I mean, you've been doing a lot with the team and the media team with Saints and obviously doing the pre and post-match shows with the guys. How are you enjoying that? And how are you, uh, how are you enjoying watching Saints this season? Because it's been a bit of a pleasure so far, hasn't it? A huge pleasure. I mean, I love both. I love my role
2: with the back of the club again. I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky that... I've got the opportunity to work for for Saints TV and I love the role. I do every, I get the privilege of talking about Southampton for an hour before the game. I watch the game and then we analyze it afterwards. So, I mean, it's a great job. I love doing it. Work with some really, really good people. And lucky enough, Southampton are playing fantastic this year. Just playing really, really, really good attacking football on the front foot, aggressive without the ball as well to want it, want it back high up the pitch, play with energy and pace and just a joy to watch. And, they just look so confident that they can beat any team. And I think they go into every game with the philosophy. I really like the manager. I like his philosophy that, okay, we're gonna keep to our our values. This is how we play and we're gonna we're gonna test you. And if we have to outscore you, and if we have to win four, two, three, one, then we will. And the players just look like they really believe in him. He really believes in the players. So it's a really good mix at the moment. And I'm I'm really enjoying watching it and um, have to pinch myself every now and again when the when the team went top of the league the other week, which which was brilliant, but deservedly so. I say on the show all the time that these are not one nil wins that are holding on and scrappy victories, and you know they're the keepers making save after save, and it's defensive clearance. These are dominant, comfortable victories in the Premier League against good teams, and it's so impressive it's just it's going to be really interesting to see how the season pans out what do you
0: think they can achieve this season do you think that it's uh, sort of like the start of the season normally there's a couple of teams that will uh, go high and then as the season goes on the big boys do finally find their form and come back up to the top do you think that could be something different this season or what what do you what do you think the side can can achieve well i
2: think it's a unique season for a start because of there being no crowd so if you talk about the big teams, they're not as... The other teams are not as fearful anymore. If you're going to Old Trafford, if you're going to Anfield, you're not going to that hostile atmosphere of 40, 50, 60,000 people where it's a cold room and you feel a little bit intimidated. There isn't that fear factor anymore and you can see that in the results. So it is going to be a unique season which is going to be a little bit different. I don't think any one team is going to run away with it. I think there'll be some surprise victories and results like we've seen already. And I think... Southampton, have the, has their target changed since the start of the season? I would have thought so. A top 10 finish, again, is fantastic. It really is. I think the Southampton team now can beat any team in this division. So why not go for a cut run? Because on a one-off game, Southampton can beat Man City, can beat Liverpool. I, I honestly believe that. So there's every chance a good cut run could, uh, could be achieved. But I've got a sneaky suspicion that the club might think they can maybe sneak into Europe potentially top, top seven is it Europe now but that will be tough but I think top
1: ten and a cut run would be a brilliant season. Absolutely and I think you, you touched on something there with the other clubs because I mean Liverpool don't seem to have a first choice defender to their name at the moment. Man City haven't got going. Chelsea are, are a relatively new team with a lot of new players and, and, and they'll, they'll be learning there'll be peaks and troughs there. Mourinho's doing a, a, a decent job with Spurs, but you know they're Spursy, so anything can happen. It's almost a little bit, and don't quote me as saying that we're we're going to do this, but it's almost a little bit like that season where Leicester snuck in through right. the back door because everyone else was, you know, they did a great job, obviously, but everyone else was was a little off the pace, and they were lucky with injuries. And like Tom says, a long season, and and the squad plays a part. Over that season, but we saw against Newcastle in the last game, where without Danny Ings, without players like uh, like Bertrand, who's who's been pivotal, and like you said, it wasn't there was not even a contest really. I, I I don't remember watching a game, especially as a Saints fan, because over the years we've we've had a few you know going way back, we've had a few where we've had a two nil lead in stoppage time, and it hasn't ended up going our way. But after a while, after that second goal goes in, you, you're kind of thinking. We're on for three points here and uh, they didn't even have an attack really, that Newcastle, against us. They didn't and the, the week before they'd beaten Everton. So Newcastle are no
2: fools. They're not, a, they're not a bad team in the division. They're a very experienced team with a good manager. So I totally agree. I just love watching Southampton because it's not if they'll score, it's when they score. And that is a, an amazing feeling to have as a player, as a fan. Because I remember playing in teams and the teams I was lucky enough to play in. At Southampton, we had that feeling. It was like, when we're going to score or how many are we going to score? But this is Southampton at the top level, you know, and dominating teams. And I was at Leicester the season or the seasons when they won the Premier League and we were playing in the Premier League and we had, we had a relatively small squad. We didn't have a huge squad. Yes, you have to get lucky with injuries and suspensions. That's really, really important. Players have to keep their form. But Southampton can beat any team at the moment and... They are showing that, and the way they play, it's it's going noticed. They're getting noticed now. They really are, and I think the signing of Theo Walcott has been brilliant. Just because of Danny Ings getting injured, Theo Walcott slots in there, and he's always wanted to play as a number nine. He's made he's never hid that he wants to play as a number nine up front. And him and Shay Adams last week were brilliant. Really, really good. Now, Danny Ings is the number one. He's the talisman for the team. But if he gets injured like he is now, six, eight weeks, he's going to be out potentially. And Theo Walcott coming in has been brilliant because he's a big-name player and he's a really, really good player. and He's found his feet and he was, I thought he was excellent um, against Newcastle. Another player, Stuart Armstrong, has been brilliant. Um, James Ward-Prowse just looks like the player that I believed he would be when I saw him coming through the youth system him getting the armband and having that extra responsibility has made him a better player. Playing centrally has helped him as well. But there's just so many players within that squad that are playing so well. And the spine of the team is so strong now, really is. And the partnerships within that spine of the team are brilliant. And that's, when you get successful teams that can achieve things.
0: We're going to get ahead of of ourselves Uh, if we carry on with this discussion we'll be celebrating the Premier League title there. We keep
2: doing that on the show. so I think we've we've won the Premier League twice, I think, uh, on Saints TV. Just
0: just the twice. (laughs) We'll go into your time at Southampton because, of course, that's what our listeners are really going to be interested in. They want to hear about your time at the club. But before we do that, let's go off the pitch because you're now PT. Uh, you've got on Instagram, Dean Hammond Elite Fitness. That's all one word if you want to find it. And obviously, we've got the website of www.deanhammondelite.com where you've been uh, offering different hit sessions for dads who want to chat football, and it's certainly not for people who uh, are looking to go to the gym or suddenly become a bodybuilder. Now, this start of this sort of coincided with lockdown. Was that some? Was is lockdown something that inspired you to do this, or was was it always something in the pipeline for you?
2: It was something I was doing on my own, if I'm honest. I've always been fit. I've loved my fitness. It was a big part of, of my career in football I always kept myself fit because I needed to be that was a big part of my game Um, but lockdown really encouraged it if I'm honest Um, and when everyone was going through that period gyms were closed people exercising I know how much it can help you physically and mentally Um, when you're in them low moments or negative moments uh, exercise can really raise that mood and improve that mood so I kind of wanted to share it it was way out of my comfort zone because I'm quite a private person and actually going live and doing it to the, the world, I suppose, or viral on, on, on the internet. was um, very different for me. But I took the step and I really, really enjoyed it and, and got some really good feedback. And it's just a big passion of mine to be able to pass on my experience, pass on my knowledge of fitness to dads. I'm a dad, I, you know, and I th- think spending two hours, three hours going to the gym, traveling to the gym, takes you away from that precious time as being of being a father, so that family time where if you can do half an hour, 40 minutes in the morning, three or four times a week at home early in the morning, whenever you want during the day, it has a big factor in it and it, it, it's really good. And that's why I introduced it. That's why I've created this, this platform. It, and I love talking about football as well. And I love passing on my experience. I love passing on my knowledge and I love sharing my experiences from the past, from my career. So I do some one-to-one coaching as well in football and one-to-one pt um, but the online platform combines all of this. And it's a monthly subscription that anyone wants to join. for like-minded people, we've built a community that, you know, there's support and encouragement for everyone. So I love doing it, but it was brought on by lockdown and, um, there's lots of things that have
1: changed in my in my life uh, during lockdown and it's
2: been, it's been life-changing.
1: How, how often are your sessions so if people wanted to have a look? I mean, you're on Facebook and, and Twitter as well, so easily accessible. How often and what sorts of times? Do I know you do a lot of live sessions. Uh, what can people expect? Well, it's, it's four sessions a week. Um, they're
2: uh, on a Tuesday, Wednesday, um, Friday and Sunday there's 7:30 in the morning for tuesday wednesday and friday and 8:30 on a sunday but they're the live ones but once they they're recorded live they stay recorded and they upload to the platform that can be um accessible at anyone's convenience so you don't have to do them live i do them live and if um some people join in live or otherwise people do them later in the day or two three days later whenever they want to do a workout and it just builds up on the platform. So then you're going to have 10, 15, 20 workouts that you can choose from. There's a catalogue of stuff stuff to do. So you can do it live, but I do them live because that's what I've done all through my career. You know, a football match is live. It, it's, you know, I, I, do I make mistakes? Do I mess up now and again? Of course I do. But that's that's the joy of the platform, I think. And it, it's the fun of of doing it live so but then once it's recorded it's uploaded to the platform and it can be anyone can use it at any point during the day or the week or whenever they want so um, there's a combination of ways to use it
1: and as you said there's a lot of interaction I mean a- anyone can join you know do you, you, you've got the, the dads and the guys who are, who are into football and you said you know you love talking about your experience and, and everything like that does that happen through those live sessions do you kind of sit down at the end of them after you've you're all knackered uh, and everyone's panting and looking for a drink and sort of just have a bit of a chat. How, how do people interact with, with you? Because obviously that's a, a learning as you go as well on, on mm-hmm. how, how things work and, and people trying to learn how to be sort of physically and, and mentally well. Yeah. But the other thing is obviously you're you know for for Slampton fans, especially for, to have a former captain doing it and to be able to interact with you is, is obviously a big draw as well. So how do people kind of um, get to ask you some questions that they might have?
2: Well, the questions and the interaction, um, uh, the live talk um, it is, is new. It's something that's going to happen within the next couple of weeks. But the live sessions happen four times a week. And they can during the sessions, you can interact. So you can interact in terms of uh, writing me a message. You can't interact as though we're interacting now. Um, but you can write me a message. I will obviously contact back. I can um, type back. Um, i can come back to you after the session that one to watch personal touch is there i'm happy to commit my time to that but the the sessions how i'm going to do the live sessions for instance on a sunday evening to talk all the things football fitness fatherhood anyone can join in will either be on the on the system live that it's on boom tv which is dean ham elite fitness and during the week you'll get an opportunity to write in questions to me um, and then I will prepare and answer the questions. And then during the live talk, you'll be able to interact by text again. Or I'm thinking of doing it via, via Zoom and then everyone can interact like this. But I'm, I'm, I'm kind of testing that at the moment with, uh, with a couple of people and finding the best way that it would work. So the live sessions are live now. That's been happening for months. But the interaction and the actual talk where I can give advice like we're talking now. Imagine we were talking now and there was... I don't know, 10, 15, 20, 100 people, and we were just talking football, fitness. That would be brilliant, I think. Really, really good. I'd love to pass on that knowledge, that personal touch. And I don't think there's many people out there doing that, if I'm honest. Um, and I think that's the biggest draw. Um, I've had good feedback on it and what people would like, like that. And it can be any questions. It could be about my career, it could be about, oh, um, can I have some advice on my son that's in a uh, grassroots team and uh, he wants to know on how to improve his touch or have some confidence going into a game? Or it could be um, a father wanting to talk about fatherhood or well-being all it is, is real life experiences from me. I'm not an expert. I've not got loads of qualifications, but I've got real life experiences and I've been through the process. So that's where my knowledge comes from.
0: Going back to how, you know, fitness is, is your passion. I read in an article in the Argus, one of the main people like that inspired you was Dean Wilkins. Now, what was it about Dean that sort of really improved or just built on this passion for fitness
2: well Dino is a brilliant coach to start with and I worked with him for a long time at Brighton and then Southampton um, and then Sheffield United towards the end of my career and he he installed the values in terms of fitness that football is you have to be technically very good at football but you get to a certain level and everyone's technically good everyone's good at football the difference is the fitness and the awareness now I'm not talking about physical fitness I'm talking about mental fitness as well so when you're mentally fit and you're thinking clear, your awareness is, is better and is quicker. Um, and Dino Dean, Dean was massive on that. He wanted his players to be fit. He was very diligent on your weight and on your body fat, on uh, weight training, uh, resistance training, to make sure that when you went on the pitch, you were physically strong and physically prepared. And Dino and was brilliant. Really, really good coach, technically with the ball, but he, he passed on his real-life experiences from his career, that played at a really high level. Obviously, Ray Wilkins is his brother as well, so we had a lot, a lot of knowledge from Ray. Um, and they passed that all on to us. And as young kids, we were very privileged to have him as a coach. And I had him for a long time during my career, and um, he really instilled some values in me. And he's still a friend today, and I still speak to him and confide in him at the moment.
1: I just wanted to say, Dean, I mean, what you what you're explaining and what you're doing is it sounds brilliant and in, in the year that we've had I think is going to help a lot of people because when you first go into PT and as you said you're learning as, as you go but when you're anything about physical fitness everyone thinks about it as as how they can improve themselves physically improve their their fitness and and you know how long they can run for how much they can lift and all those things but has this become more a, of a mental thing especially with with lockdown. I know you touched on it just now and, and will it coinciding with lockdown it's a huge thing to keep people in a routine to keep them and, and the biology of it with the endorphins and everything else being released just to try and keep you you know it wasn't that long ago we were all stuck inside and, and, and four walls and we couldn't really get out but it gives you that sense of community which clearly you've built um, and the building and what you're trying to add to that is just in- increases that and makes it sort of more impressive because the idea like you said of giving people that exposure to yourself and, and your advice and your stories and whether it be about something like fatherhood where people won't really know much about you and your family or haven't seen you, you know, playing in front of 30,000 people at St Mary's every week and talking about those experiences. You, you mentioned it a couple of times. It's something I picked up having done a bit of research. Obviously, you you were with uh, John Bond at Storm Fitness Academy and where you were learning the trade, if it were. And um, what you were really impressed with was how he had that personal touch. And you've mentioned it a couple of times. And I think it comes across in some of the sessions that I've seen as well uh, for, for yourself. How important is that and, and, and that sense of community and that mental well-being and, and having that personal touch because i think if you watched someone and and they didn't even know who you were and they were just sending out videos to the world it would have maybe less of an impact than you having someone who you speak to maybe on a, on a four times a week or you know you see someone you know who they are because they're there all the time is it, has it had a, lot of, have you had a lot of good feedback on how it's helped people through, through the last nine months?
2: Yeah, I really have. And I've been very grateful for that. And, and what you said there is totally right. It, it is about your physical fitness, but it's about your mental well-being as well. I've been through stages since I finished my career where I've been very up and down and had to, I've had to find myself again. And, and exercise has been a massive thing on that. And I just want to pass on them, them experiences. Exercise is, is, is a huge mood changer it can really lift your mood, it can make you feel better, it can have an initial reaction that makes you think, do you know what, I have got a purpose today, I have got something that I really want to achieve today, I'm building resilience in my body physically and mentally and I feel good about myself and and that's what exercise does And, and I'm trying to give people within the platform some structure, some routine that where we live in a world in a moment where everything feels as though we've lost control of everything we you know we're not controlling what we can do we've been told this by the government or by this how about we just control what we can do can we feel healthy about ourselves can we feel good about ourselves can we take it a day at a time and building that community it's just communicating with each other sharing real life experiences so i learn off my my clients if you call them my members i learn off them when when we have chats privately or they message me with feedback and and that's brilliant because what i try to do within my platform is i try to keep it real so you mentioned before people can just send you videos and do this here's an instruction but i'm trying to give that personal touch that i generally what i say and generally do i actually feel and I, i want to pass that on i want to see people see my mood change and hopefully their mood is changing so there's always light at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day that i can feel good today i can go into the day with a purpose and really achieve something today so that's what i'm trying to build and i'm not i'm you may think i'm a liar but i'm not trying to grow this too big i'm not trying to get thousands and thousands of members because it will lose that personal touch and it will not be authentic then it will not be unique i am trying to build a career and a business, but I really do want to help people and I'm going to build this and I'm going to, if it takes me forever, I'll do it because <laughs> I love fitness and I know it can really help help people because it's helped me personally.
0: You're absolutely right in terms of releasing endorphins. I mean, especially when so many people are working from home and say you're doing a nine till five you've maybe got the especially especially in winter as well when the hours before and the hours after by the time you finish at five it's dark outside and you may not want to go for a run you may not want to go for a walk or something because i i I try and go out maybe for I'm, i'm lucky enough to live in the heart of the new forest so i've got uh, eight acres on my doorstep to go and explore and just go try and get something maybe half an hour jog in before work starts so i think what you're doing is fantastic and it sort of just bring as callum said it just bringing loads of different areas of the community together and give them that short because sometimes half an hour is all you need just to raise those spirits for the rest of the day. And I, I really like it from what I've seen. So I think, I think you're doing a fantastic job.
1: Thank you very much. I'll, I'll tell you what I, I do see, you mentioned Dean Wilkins and, and certain people that have had effects on how you're doing it, but you're really vocal um, as you always were on the pitch in the sessions and constantly talking people through it. But there's, there's, definitely, there's definitely a bit of Nigel Adkins kind of power of positivity <laughs> in there. I, I've, I've noticed myself the most, the most positive man I've ever heard. <laughs> closely followed up by his old captain but yeah there's you know it's asking how people are it's encouraging them um telling them they're doing really well and 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 really keeping people's mood up we'll go on to other things that you've been doing as well but certainly with the pt other than dean wilkins do you find yourself deliberately or maybe even subconsciously picking from different managers and maybe former pros that you've that you've had and and um trying to apply that to the things that you've been doing since since you retired because obviously with the pt as i said there's a lot of uh, positivity and you've picked up a lot of the fitness stuff that you've been doing for decades are there certain characters or certain coaches that you've had where you're you're kind of picking from what they've done it's a great question to be honest i've never really thought about that but um i suppose
2: i i've I've worked with some amazing people and i've picked up probably a lot of traits off of all different coaches and, and players and Very fortunate to play with some amazing players in my career. And the one thing I just tried to do is, which is what I did in in my career, is try to set an example. So when I was captain, I just tried to lead the way. Now that wasn't always with a Churchill speech or anything like that. that was going to motivate someone. But, you know, if, 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 you know, I've got to run through that wall, let's run through that wall. You know, I'll go first. I'll test out how hard the wall is. Or, you know, we've got to, we need a one 0 win today where a back's against the wall and I've got to recover and, and, and get back because a wing has run forward and I've got to get out wide and then tackle something. Or I just try to lead by example in terms of what I do. Yes, I try to be really positive, but that's not the Nigel Eakin thing It is funny. Like I say, I don't I didn't realise I came across like that. It's just I like I to feel good and I like to see other people happy and feel good. And I think just during that half an hour, 35 minutes we have on the platform, it should just be clear space, no distractions. Let's exercise. Let's just all feel good. Let's pull each other through together as a team. I say it during my, my sessions all the time. We are a team. We're a community. You know, And I'm talking to a camera, but I know there's people behind the camera. So I'm really visualising that the people are there, and I'm really I'm doing a one to one session to pull someone through. I can't see them; they can only see me. But it's just leading by example because I watch other fitness um, professionals do HIT classes. I watch them do it, and they don't. If you watch one of my HIT classes, I'm sweating like anything. I can't breathe. It's real. I'm feeling the pain with someone else. So I, I, I want to feel like everyone else is feeling. So if I'm saying this is hard, I know it's hard. It's not false. I'm not going. Well, this should be hard. It does. It feel hard. I don't know. I know. So I'm just trying to lead by example. And yes, it's positive. Yes, it's well done. But I just think 30 minutes during the day,
1: it's kind of your happy place and your free place. Um, and that's where I try to create it. I was watching one earlier, Dean, and I was just I was sat working, and I, I felt knackered, and I wasn't even doing it. <laughs> I was watching <laughs> watching you doing some of the, the the bits with the what I've done before, where the, what do you call them? Where you've got your um, you're laying on your back, and you've got your legs, and you're just you're just doing that with the Scissors, yeah. Scissors, yeah. Oh God, I've been there, and that is um, that's not easy. But you'd already done about twenty-five minutes of, of everything else since you're, you're sort of. Well, I, I say your playing career, but rejoined Worthing for for a, the shortest stint I, I've ever i ever. Had. But um, you've you've done a few things. Obviously, the PT things come about. You Went back with Leicester. You were you were uh, looking after the loan players and, and yep. going and watching them and reporting back. Obviously, you've done the media work recently with with Southampton, and then and then, as we said, just before lockdown, you joined with Worthing. Was it your former teammate at Brighton, Adam yeah. Hinchwood, was it, that you, you yeah. so you were looking at getting back into, I mean, where, where you've got a lot of kind of things flying around at the moment. Have you got a direction that you particularly want to go in going forward? Because I, as a captain and the way that you were vocally on the pitch and the way that you've been in, in your um, PT sessions, always uh, i wondered if you'd maybe get involved in in coaching i know you said before you don't sort of see yourself as being a manager and and you know 24 7 having that on your mind but maybe in in a in a coaching team or or staff is that somewhere you might see yourself getting back into football
2: (laughs) it's an interesting (laughs) question because if i'm honest i would love to do it i really would i think it's a career path that i would be really interested in and before you do it, you don't know. But I believe I'd be pretty good at it, as in, the, in a coaching um, setup, like you say. I don't want to manage. I don't want to be the number one. But it just doesn't fit with my family life. I've made, the, I've made the decision. I've got three children. I've got a lovely wife. We're really, really happy. And I kind of have to put them first. They were very, very supportive of me during my, my playing career, travelled around the country with me and um, sacrificed a lot for me. So for me then to say to them, oh, thanks very much, i retired now, but actually I'm going to go and be a coach or a manager and the hours are going to be even longer and we're going to have to travel and change again. I don't think that's right and I want to be there for my children. Will I regret it in the future? Potentially. But that's the decision I've made. So where's my direction going? The plat- my fitness platform is everything to me and I think I'm going to try and lead and, and coach in this manner. Um, but it means I can I can control it. I can be in charge of it. It can be my creation, and that's the direction that uh, I'm moving towards in terms of passing on my football knowledge, passing on my fi- my fitness knowledge, um, and trying to encourage people to enjoy the the fruits of exercise and what it can bring to your life. That's my focus now, and that's that's my dream. I suppose where that goes, I don't know. Uh, I haven't looked that far ahead, but you know, if I was a if I was a single man or if I didn't have children, I think I'd be coaching in football, yeah.
1: Just one thing, I, I just thought whilst you were talking about your uh, your PT, have we ever thought about getting one of the old teammates on to do a session with you? <laughs> Anyone spring to mind?
2: I've tried. I've had no takers yet, to be honest. <laughs> I've had a few conversations, but yeah, I've tried a, a couple of the lads, but I think they've looked at it and, uh, and decided against it. But the platform <laughs> is not... The platform is not just right. let come on. Let's all keep up with me. It's an extreme exercise. It's all for all different um, levels of fitness. I've got all different types of members and clients on there that, that work out, and you just you just tailor it. You you can. I'd say to everyone. All I ask of everyone is just to try and do their best. Now, if that's I work for thirty seconds on an exercise and they can do ten seconds or twenty seconds, brilliant. And we just slowly build that up. You build up the repetitions. You build up the time you reduce the rest and that's the interaction I can have with people and I can guide them through it I'm just a guide I'll set the standard and there's probably some members that do it a lot quicker than me and a lot harder than me and that's brilliant as well so it's there for everyone it's just to be tailored and I think by having that personal touch I can help them with that so if anyone looking at it and is scared or thinking oh that's too much it's really not I've got lots of different types of members that enjoy it and it's just understanding that okay we can We can moderate this for for everyone.
0: Dean, whilst we've got you, I think it would be churlish not to talk about your time at Southampton. So, Callum, I think the best place to start at is the beginning.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, so if we're going back to August 2009 and the Saints have just been relegated, we're in a a world of trouble financially. Norwich have been relegated with us and uh, Dean Hammond takes his team. Colchester up the road and spanks them in their own backyard 7-1 they win the next game so two from two you're top of the table a week later Paul Lambert's joined Norwich yep. and you are at Southampton what what I, what I wonder Dean is was this in the pipeline for longer than it seemed because it almost seems a little bit like well especially with Norwich that they've come they've come along and, and absolutely thrashed us let's have their manager because he knows what he's doing at this level and with yourself obviously the captain because I don't know how Saints haven't been in such trouble financially and administration and didn't know if we'd be a club I didn't know if there were many plans for uh, a transfer policy that summer in all honesty I know Pard, you had come in is is that something that came out of the blue for you I know obviously you mentioned Dean Wilkins was there and and you, you're in contact with Dean but is this something that you saw coming or were you quite surprised at it? And, and how difficult a decision was it to leave Colchester to come to Saints? Well, I knew of the interest, definitely. Southampton did have a policy
2: that summer because um, I had an, an initial conversation with Dean Wilkins, um, I think early in the summer during pre-season, just as he went to the club, where the club had made a list of positions and players that they were interested in. I was on the list of midfield players that they they were interested in um, through, Par, through Alan Pardew, the, the uh, staff at the, at the club, and, and Dean Wilkins. And obviously, I'd worked with Dean, so he rec- recommended me. So, I think I moved to the top of the list. Um, and there was initial negotiations, but Colchester weren't willing to sell me. So, they kind of went a little, little bit quiet. Um, we started the season really well. Like you say, we went to Norwich and, and won 7-1. We, we were... We had a really good team at Colchester actually and Paul Lambert was building a really, really good team and, and we started the season really well. He went to Norwich. Um, he actually tried to sign me at Norwich but between that time I'd already agreed to go to Southampton if they could agree a fee um, and I wanted to go to Southampton because it's just such a huge football club um, and I spoke to Dean Hawkins, um, I spoke to... Uh, Nicola Cortese and um, they showed me the plans and and what they were trying to do they just signed Ricky Lambert for a million pounds so I knew the club wasn't messing around and they were ambitious so as soon as I knew of the interest I wanted to go was it a difficult decision to leave Colchester yes because we just had our first child as me and my wife we were very happy in the area um, made a lot of friends up there but I knew the opportunity to go to Southampton wasn't going to come around again um so i done everything in my power in terms of my agent speaking to colchester speaking to southampton to to make it happen and um thankfully it did it took a bit of negotiations because i'd just been offered a new contract to colchester as well um but no it was a brilliant move for me and um i was so glad when uh I got to sign that contract and I became a Southampton player.
0: You certainly mentioned there is such a huge club and that kind of opportunity doesn't come along very often. I mean, you've had your move from Brighton, you've gone to Colchester. It's fair to say that this was something different. I mean, was there any anything about the transition that shocked you when you came to Southampton? It was like such a big club compared to where you had been before in all respect to Colchester and Brighton.
2: Yes, I knew I knew the size of the club anyway and I knew the ambitious ambition of the club. It didn't shock me but walking into the training ground was very very different to anything I'd been at before. Um obviously walking out um at St Mary's as a Southampton player, I'd played in big stadiums before for for other clubs and stuff, but walking out as a as a player of a big club was different. There's a different expectation. So what well, I wasn't shocked, but I was I was inspired. It inspired me. It was something I'd worked for all my career. My career goal from the very beginning, I'm I'm from Hastings. Um I, I signed for Brighton uh, in League Two, which was a poor club at the time. No financial backing; were, we're struggling. So my dream was to play in the Premier League, and how I was going to get there, I didn't know. But signing for Southampton and turning up at the football club and training and playing for the team, it was the first time I really felt okay. I could actually make this. Re- I could make this reality come true. I could make this dream come true. And that's what it felt like. And then more players started signing. Obviously, Alan Pardew's there. He's, he's been a manager in the Premier League and now he's a manager of League One or on Minus 10. It just felt different. Um, and that just really, really inspired me and motivated me to, to take every opportunity that I was
1: going to get at Southampton. know, it was a brand new start for the club, pretty much, because there was a huge turnover. We'd just been taken over. What really intrigues me, you don't often hear a lot about them from inside the club but what were your sort of maybe your first interactions or interactions that you maybe remember or stories with Nicola Cortese and and Marcus Lieber as well did you did you see much of, of the new owner and and I mean we hear a lot of stories about Nicola and and always interesting but what were your kind of experiences with those well, Marcus, I, I didn't, I didn't meet that much to be honest. Um, I think I met him one or
2: two, one or two times. He'd come to a couple of games, and obviously saw him at the present when we won the Paints Trophy. He was obviously up by the trophy, and so only probably met Marcus uh, one or two times, and the family a couple of times, really. But Nicola had more interaction with the players. More interaction was at the training ground. Would come and watch training. Would obviously be at the games. Would speak to the players but again i was i didn't have that much interaction with with nicola very very ambitious person very demanding but in a good way he was ambitious he wanted to do well so he demanded the best and and that was the mentality change at the football club he he produced that he made that flow through the club and yes he may have ruffled a few feathers put it that way but it was needed at the time to make the club as big as it is now. Um, so he done a fantastic job, I, I believe, when he came to the football club. He made some really hard decisions that needed to be made at all different stages um, of changing managers, of players coming in and out, different things that happened in the training ground and matches. And But, you know, I spoke to Nicola on occasions, on occasions. And one I remember one, one, one phone, I've probably never told anyone this, I remember one phone call with, with Nicola. It was... The, we were in the championship season, um, and I think we were, it was about Christmas time, and I'd actually just taken, I was taking my daughter to, to ballet at the time, and my phone rang, and it was Nicola, and I was like, Oof, Nicola doesn't usually call me, so <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, it's coming up to January, I was like, please don't, the club are going to sell me, please don't sell <laughs> me. But no, he was just ringing me up, and a random conversation, he just rang me up and said, look, I had my doubts at you at this level as a player, but you've really proved me a lot. proved me wrong. Um, and you're a valuable part of the team and I'm very happy that you're captain of the club and you're playing for the club and, and that meant a lot to me because he'd never done that before and it was a random phone call I'd not just bumped into him and he just said something for the sake of it he'd taken his the time out of his private time to ring me and, and, and say that and 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 that meant a lot so no, I, I've got no no qualms with Nicola. He done a brilliant job for job for the club, and, but he didn't. He did rustle a few feathers and made some big decisions, which is probably what all chairmen do. Well, we
1: wouldn't be we wouldn't be where we are without him. And it always seemed to me like Nicola, everything he did had a purpose. He was always trying to find the little gains. I remember hearing about it was unheard of. Everyone's probably doing it now, but sort of players taking their own mattresses with them or beds and things like that if they went to stay in hotels just to get them more comfortable like playing at home and and you know like you said phoning you up at that time seemed completely random but hearing what you hear about from from Nicola Cortese phoning his captain at that point to to give him some some really good feedback is really nice touch it was probably something that he thought that if my captain's happy then my team's happy so yeah, uh, uh, that's a really cool story. I, uh, like I said, I've never heard, I've never heard that before, and, and that's a side of Nicola Cortez that people maybe don't yeah. um, hear in the media.
0: Fast forwarding a few months, it's November two thousand and nine, <laughs> and you get given the captaincy. Was when you joined? Was was that ever? Was that in your mind at that point?
2: Uh, it was never in my mind. I didn't. There was no intention of thinking, I'm going to go Southampton, I'm going to I'm going to be captain because um, it, j- it just didn't cross my mind. It wasn't in my full process. Um, but I'd been a captain at Brighton previously. I was captain at 21 at, uh, at Brighton and I was captain at Colchester. So I'd captain every team I'd, I'd play for. Yes, it'd only been two, but it'd been for a decent period of time. And it was just a conversation that, that came out of the blue, to be honest. I didn't see it coming. Alan Pardew called me and Calvin into his office. Um, just had a conversation and said, look, Kelvin's going to be the club captain. And rightly so. He he was the leader of the club and a brilliant personality, a brilliant player and um, is a club legend. But um, Alan just said, look, I, I, want, I want a captain on the pitch. I don't really... I, I, we need more influence on the pitch with the players and Alan had a a big thing with referees he wanted players to influence the referees and he didn't think that Calvin could do that from obviously being a goalkeeper because he had to stay in his, his box and his area so you know he chose me to do that and did I hesitate no not at all was it was it difficult to start with yes because obviously I was I was taking the armband from from Calvin but Calvin Calvin was Brilliant with me. Really, really good. Um, Did the other players accept it straight away? You'd have to ask them. Potentially not. But I'd like to think I proved myself to them and um, I was a good captain. So, um, no, I didn't think about it and it did come out of the blue. But did I hesitate? No.
0: You talk about the influence of Kelvin Davis. It's quite hard to influence the game when you're the goalkeeper and you're away from the action, especially when Southampton are being so dominant in a lot of the games. And thankfully for us, the, the ball was at the other end of the pitch most of the time. But I do remember, I think it was uh, in the championship season, the uh, the win at Nottingham Forest when David Connolly had the red card incident. I remember looking at the replay and I think Kelvin's run the full length of the pitch just to get involved in the, in the melee in the middle. So uh, he tries to have his influence where he can.
2: Yeah. I mean Cal was brilliant really was and he was the heartbeat of of the the dressing room the team the club and a lot of the success was down to him he led the team really really well and a brilliant goalkeeper as well so no great guy um presence as well big guy so you all the players respected him if he talked you listened and funny guy as well. he was good fun uh, on, on a social night so no he's uh and still at the football club I think it's so important for football clubs to keep former players at the club especially influential
1: players like him that have, have done so much for the club so you no, know, brilliant for him. Yeah he's been there 14 years I remember a quick story on Calvin Davis he um when he first joined the club his, his first game I was, I was lucky enough to be a ball boy in, the, uh, in that season he just joined and those were sort of behind the goal just collecting the the sh- balls from the wayward shots he um he just turned around to me and I think I think it was August you know beginning of the season but it was hacking it down the rain and he just turned I think he'd come down from Sunderland he just turned around to me and said I was told it's supposed to be sunny down there you know someone's conned me into coming down there and just those little interactions and that he has with the fans and everyone around him he's just uh he's a top guy and you can tell why why the club despite all the changes and the upheaval so many times he's uh he stayed there because he's a staple, a staple of the football club now.
0: I just wanted to add one point to that. In terms of Kevin Davis saying, someone's conned me here, it just reminds me of that interview when Jos Heuvelt joined and someone told, he said that someone told him Southampton was like a tropical paradise in England. And I'm thinking, who on <laughs> earth has told you that?
2: Well, he was coming down from Celtic in Scotland, so it probably yep. did feel a lot warmer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's talk about, so when you, you've come in, and obviously you mentioned Saints are minus 10, we're rebuilding the club from almost rock bottom. Losing players uh, left, right and centre. Got a new manager in. What was the target from the day you walked in at the club? Because you, you mentioned the ambition from the new owners. But there's obviously got to be a sense of realism as well with being minus 10 and everything being new. New way of playing, new, new players, everything else, including yourself. Was the target still to get automatic promotion? Was it to get promoted? Were we focusing on the, on the JT? What was the message?
2: The message was when we first went in that we are Southampton Football Club and we're in League One and we're on minus ten. So the first target was to get obviously on an even kill. So we needed to get on 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 get off minus basically. But the target was to get into the playoffs. That was that was really was a realistic target and to win the Paints trophy. Not Alan Pardew made that clear from the start. I want to win this trophy. I want to go to Wembley. I want to sell I want to take my Southampton team to Wembley and I want to win this trophy because I think that would be the first step to this club recovering. And and we bought into that. And he said, look, if we keep doing well in this tournament, it's going to build build momentum. We're going to feel good about ourselves. We'll get the fans on side. Um, it will create a brilliant atmosphere. So he's very clever in in terms of that, Alan was. He was a very good man manager in terms of that and very thorough in his thinking um, and always had a vision. But it was the playoffs. We were pushing for the playoffs because we knew if we could have a steady and pretty strong first half of the season, which we were a little bit inconsistent, that the club was always going to strengthen in January. That was the real, I think that was the real transfer plan they had. Let's get a few in in the summer, not be held to ransom because people probably know that Southampton had the, some money to invest. Get a few players in. He wanted to build the spine of the team. If you think he bought Raddy in, he kept Calvin at the club, he bought myself in, he bought Ricky Lambert in. He tried to make the spine of the team strong and experienced again. And then in January, we bought Jose Fonte and Jason Punch and Lee Barnard, Dan Seaborn. So probably a couple of players that I've missed. You know, David Connolly came in as well. It was it was getting to January and past January into position when we could attack the playoffs, and we did. We just fell fell short because I think Huddersfield pipped us to it, and they had a really strong finish as well. So the target was the playoffs, but it was to win the Paints Trophy as well. So a bit like I said, Southampton this season, getting a top ten and have a good cut run. It was a little bit like that.
1: Make into Europe, <laughs>
2: yeah. From <laughs> League One, that'll be nice. <laughs>
0: That'd be the best football story ever told. If, to achieve it from League One, but let's um, let's talk about the the Johnson's Paint Trophy now, given an even better name of the Papa John's Trophy. That type of run is that something that you'd ever been involved in in your career before?
2: Not on a cut run, no. My my cut run during my career was never great, if I'm honest. <laughs> um, didn't really get very far in, in cut competitions, so I'd never been a part of it. And during that. I think, during the run of getting to the final, I think we went to penalties twice, did we? Did we go to penalties against yeah. Norwich and against...
0: Torquay, I think key, first
2: round. Torquay, yeah. So we it's could almost all out, over before... Yeah, we could have gone out a couple of times and um, we rode our luck a little bit and the team changed in and out. You know, at the start, Alan was, you know, giving some fringe players an opportunity to play because he was still trying to find his strongest first team, I think, for the league games. Um, so we rode our luck a little bit, but once you get through each stage and then you win another game you think always getting a little bit closer and then you have the final where it's a two-legged final before you get to the before you get to Wembley Um, we had mk dons i was actually injured for the first leg and i think we won one nil did michael antonio score i think yeah um and then we came back and i was coming back from a calf injury and i wasn't fit really but alan said look you're playing didn't really get much choice Um, We played and won, I think we won the second leg, 2-1, 3-1, something like that. And that atmosphere, that evening at St Mary's was brilliant. Really, really. That was the first time I really, I knew I was playing for a big club. But I think it was the first time I really understood it and realised I was playing for a big club. And what it meant to the fans of where the club had been over the last three, four, five years of a a general decline, that the club was making the right steps forward now and was on the return. We felt that that evening.
0: I think at that point, that game almost broke the record for the largest attendance at St Mary's. And I mean, on a a lighter note as well, you played MK Dons four times that season, beat them every single time. They must have been sick of the sight of you every time you came up against them.
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, one of the goals as well was, I think it was, did Ricky score that goal from the halfway line as well? Was that the following? Yeah,
0: season? The, um, no, no, no. That, that was in the
2: league. That was in yeah, the league, but the, it was MK Dons. Yeah, yeah, down and turned and spanked in. So I think <laughs> they'd, had, they'd had enough of us that season. I think.
1: But like you said, it was a it was a really tough run. I mean, we started at home to Torquay, and that went to penalties. they like said it was all, it could have all been so different. But we played Norwich, who had, were, got promoted that season, Charlton, who were in the playoffs, MK Dons, home and away. We didn't really have an easy run of it. So you know it clearly showed how much we wanted to win it but what also what a force we already were at that level because to beat all of those teams to play all of them beat them and the fans really bought into it i remember i i think i went to every game including that mk dons one and and i wasn't the only one you know the fans were there throughout and as it went on it became more and more important and a lot of the, the bigger teams who have never been at that level will never really understand but when it got all the way to that that final or the two-legged final, when we won that, and we realised we were going to Wembley, whereas at the only what nine months before we thought we wouldn't have a team was was quite you know was from rags to riches really for for the Saints fans. It was something, and and Pardew was right. It was some it was the the foundation for what's what's followed afterwards. But then obviously the big day, and it must be huge for you guys. I mean, what was. What was the feeling in the build-up? I mean, is, is it hard to concentrate on the league when, when you've just won that, you've just booked your place at Wembley or did, did Parju and, and, and the guys do a good job of sort of putting that to one side and trying to, trying to t- obtain that playoff place?
2: No, they did a great job because Alan was very much, well, if you want to play in the final, then you need to, you need to keep performing, performing in the league. And that kind of worked and didn't work because we knew that the, the league team was going to be different for the Paints yeah. Trophy team because a lot of players couldn't play. Um, so it kind of worked and didn't work. It was just keeping us on our toes. Um, but we all wanted to play at Wembley. Once you're in the final and you want to play at Wembley, I mean, how many players get that chance to to play at Wembley? And we knew we was going to take a massive following. You know, Carlisle were going to bring the, the, uh, a decent amount of fans that they could bring. But I think, what, did we have 50,000 there on, on the day? Maybe, maybe broke the record, didn't we, I think. Maybe more. So you walk out to a sea of red and white. So no, Alan kept us on our toes. He was very good at that. Um, and we were motivated to to keep our spot on the team to to play, play in the game. And even the night before when we stayed in the hotel, it, it was it was interesting. Alan allowed us to have a drink. Um, he wanted us to to just be relaxed. And he said, look, you don't have to have a drink, but there's wine and beers on the table if you want to have them to help you sleep better and not think about the game. Help yourself. So some players did, some didn't. Um, but he just had little clever touches like that. It wasn't a test. It was generally just thinking. Look, if you if you if you stre- if you're not stressed, but if you're nervous and you the game's on your mind and you need to just switch off, have a glass of wine, have a beer, no problem, and we'll see you all tomorrow morning. So, no, he was he was good like that, Alan. He was pretty clever in in terms of that.
0: And of course, you then step out at Wembley. What were your What were your thoughts about the game itself? Because obviously, you were against Carlisle, so you're pretty much the odds-on favourites to win it. So you go out there thinking they're the ones who are going to try and come out and make a cup set. You've got players in different positions. Dan Harding, I think, had to play it right back. To speak about cup ties. Lee Barnard couldn't play. Morgan couldn't play because I think he was injured. I've, I do remember his post-match interview of that being a little bit tearful because he wasn't. He was very uh, disappointed that he couldn't play, but. Um, did you ever have any any doubts in your mind stepping out onto the pitch? Or did you think, yep, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go and thrash them today and we're gonna bring home that trophy?
2: I didn't think we were gonna thrash them. I, I knew we were gonna win. Uh, when we turned up uh, in the bus and it was just a sea of red and white, I think all the players knew that, yep, yeah, this is this is our day today. We're gonna win. There's no way that we can't win. So we had that belief and that confidence. I think we were all a little bit nervous walking out of Wembley and um, seeing the amount of fans are there and, and, and the atmosphere, which, which, which was brilliant, really motivated us but yeah, it was a little bit nerve-wracking um, but what did I think about the game? I don't think we played well at all if I'm honest, I don't know if you remember the game it wasn't the most fluent footballing performance, we scored goals at the right time, we scored four goals we won 4-1, the game was dead and buried after an hour, I think it was, 70 minutes, And but Did Carlisle start a lot better than us? Yes. Were they on the front foot? Yes. Were we thinking, oh my word, this is going to be a long afternoon? Did I realise or we realise how how big the pitch at Wembley was? No. Um, And just little things like that, where a a lot of things caught us by surprise, but we were never going to lose that game. Never. And when I think the player, the first goal was was the penalty, I think, where the player handballed it, where there was no one behind him. And once Ricky gets a penalty... He doesn't even need to take them because he, he doesn't he doesn't miss. So we were 2-0 up at half-time, I think. Scored two early goals, second half from Michael Antonio and, and Papa. Um, and the game, the game was over then. So did I enjoy it for the, the way we played? No. Did I enjoy the occasion? Yes. Yeah.
0: We were going to bring it in later, but I just have to ask it now. You go to the trophy presentation. You speak about Papa, who, in my opinion, was born offside. But I tell you what... What was he doing when you and Kelvin were lifting the trophy, and you just see him try and barge past everybody to get his hand on it?
2: Well, I didn't see him coming for a start. I was concentrating on lifting the trophy with Cal. so I'm um, enjoying that moment. But yeah, he came from nowhere, which which he did a lot on the pitch. Then he Come from nowhere <laughs> scored a goal, especially in that that cup run and, and winning that trophy. So no, he was a, he was a good personality, Papa. Couldn't speak a lot of English but um, was smiling all the time, was a good guy. And I think he just wanted to enjoy the moment and get on the action. So, yeah, fair play to him. But no, I didn't see
1: him coming, I must admit. And and at what point in that game are you thinking about going up and and lifting the trophy where so many have have lifted trophies before, is it? is it before the game when you think we're going you know or you already knew you're going to win it is it at half time is it when that third goes in and it's this party time at, at, down that end of the ground when are you and Calvin just talking about it
2: <laughs> i think i think at 4-0 i think the the thought would have, would have entered my mind thinking okay we're going to walk up these steps now and we're actually going to lift the trophy um, it was always in my mind and always in agreement that me and Calvin would lift it together because obviously he's club captain and, and I was team captain, so that's the right thing to do. Um, and we both enjoyed doing that. Um, but yeah, 4-0 playing at Wembley and very, very noisy with the, the Southampton fans singing. And yeah, I had, I had a, a few minutes or moments to think, OK, this is going to be a, a brilliant moment of my career and I'm actually going to lift the trophy at Wembley um, for Southampton Football Club. So yeah, I did, I did let, let it into
1: my mind a few times, which was nice. You can't be blamed, to be honest. I don't think any of us would be able to repress that. So you're uh, nine months into your Southampton career and you've already lifted a trophy, so it's going well. We just missed out on the playoffs and then we we hit that 125th anniversary year where the target is to win the league, presumably. Bring in a few players and we don't start the season well. Uh, We lose our first... 3 or maybe 4 including the cup something like that and then we beat Bristol Rovers 4-0 away from home and we think right here we go again but Alan Pardew leaves the club and Nigel Atkins is brought in pretty soon after that what are your thoughts because obviously it's the manager who's brought you in who we've had some success under um it's made you captain so clearly you're you're an important figure uh, for him and Dean Wilkins what are your initial thoughts when he goes and what were your first impressions when uh, when Nigel came in with uh, with this coaching staff?
2: Well, to start with, obviously the shock of, of Alan's uh, um, sacking really because I didn't see it coming because we played at Bristol Rovers, like you said, and we'd won 4-0 and we felt as though we'd, we'd clicked again. Uh, we started the season slow for whatever reason. I think we'd had a few injuries and, and different things and, um, and then... Yeah, Alan getting sacked was a was a surprise. I, I must admit. And then we had a period of Dean Wilkins and uh, Martin Hunter being in charge, and we well, I think we we lost to Rochdale at home. We lost a couple of games, and it just felt as though the season was we couldn't get ourselves going. was was drifting away. So when Nigel came in, I was a little bit nervous, if I'm honest, because as a team and individuals, we weren't playing at our best. We weren't we weren't firing on all cind- cylinders, and I felt as OK, well, I've got a point to prove here as a player. So when a new manager comes in, you just have to start off well and hopefully you get that opportunity. Um, he would have known all about us as players. He would have watched games. That's what Nigel's like. Um, so he would have known everything about us. And we got. he came in and I think even under Nigel, we drew the first two games, lost a game. So we didn't start. We were, we were a long way behind, really, um, I think, within the first 10 games. But no, Nigel was good. He showed his his faith in in the players because he knew we were we were good players and we just needed to change how we were playing, change the mentality a little bit. It got a little bit stale, um, and he just brought some life back to to the players. Really. So my initial feelings were nerves, but I was myself again because I wanted this opportunity at Southampton. I wanted to get promoted. And I wanted to be part of that.
0: One part of that season that really interests me is the fact that you sort of in in the nine months and then including that season, if you've played three teams around you on the South Coast, you've played against Portsmouth, you played against Brighton which Portsmouth obviously you've played in the FA Cup and you've seen the animosity and the hatred from both sets of fans and you've played you basically you've played in the South Coast Derby for Brighton as well I didn't actually appreciate until that 3-1 loss just how much Brighton held a bit of a dislike and of course for you uh, more more of a personal rivalry as well. One rivalry that really caught my eye is is the Bournemouth one because it seemed very one-sided in League One, and even to even now during the Premier League, years, it still seemed a little bit one-sided? But how did you approach it as players? Did you see it as one to get bragging rights over, or because as Southampton fans, we were a bit perplexed as to why Bournemouth were giving us all of, the, all of this banter. And we we're just thinking, wait, wait hang on, we, we, we've never played you before. We didn't realise there was this hatred. How did you approach those games as players? Because obviously they were massive games in the context of the season because Bournemouth were right up with you. But as players, did you, did you feel it was the rivalry or did you just feel it was another game?
2: Honestly, we didn't feel the rivalry between Bournemouth as in <laughs> the, the locations of the football clubs. We felt the rivalry because they were competing with us in League One, and they were they were challenging for a playoff spot, um, the top two. Um, so we felt that rivalry. Um, I always felt as though the Bournemouth players or the club felt as though they were better than us. They felt as it came across as they felt as though they played a better brand of football than us, um, and I don't think that's true. If I'm rightly, I think Southampton tried to get Eddie Howe as a manager at some point. So I think there might have been some rivalry there between the two clubs and maybe the, the Bournemouth fans didn't like that. But as players, we didn't see it as a, a massive derby, if I'm honest. It was more the fact that I don't think we felt as though they respected us enough as a club, even though we beat them on most occasions and beat them pretty well and outplayed them in a football sense. So I don't think as players they gave us the respect that we deserved. Um, when I was playing against them. So every time we play, we did play them, we wanted to get one over them. And we did, I think. I think um, beating them 2-1, I think, um, at in at Bournemouth in League One and then beating them earlier in the season at home, I think was one of our best performances. We beat them very convincingly. We outplayed them. We kept the ball better than them. Um, so there was that rivalry where we felt as though, well, I personally felt as though their players didn't respect us as much as they, they could have done.
0: And I feel for well, a couple of things for the game at, at Dean Court. One, you got the, the decisive goal at the back post and you, it must have been a real change in, in feeling for you because you've run towards the Saints fans. They're going mad. You've, you've got the goal that's going to get the three points and then suddenly out of nowhere, you've got Radhi Jaiidi jumping on top of you. I mean, there must have been a bit of pain after that.
2: There was a bit of pain. I'm still, I'm still feeling the pain now, if I'm honest. Um, yeah, he's a big old bloke, Raddy. Um, but no, t- <laughs> again, scoring a goal, celebrating with the fans. I think I was celebrating with Lee Barnard. We ended up on the floor and then could just kind of body, <laughs> body slam me. But he didn't do it once. I think he'd done it three times. I think he just. I think there might have been some animosity there that he was trying to get out of me that he wasn't telling me about. But no, uh, brilliant guy, brilliant celebrations. And I think that was that was towards the end of the season, I think, that game. So it was an important game. And we knew that. Um, but no, it was um, them moments that I never forget. Never and, forget
0: running. And I actually, for that, for that game, I, um, I was actually sat opposite the Saints fans because I've managed to get a ticket in the Bournemouth end. So, you know, sit, sit on my hands and go, oh, Southampton scored. I don't know. What a, pro- what, what a shame. But one thing I've just thought about that game is you must have played against a, a very young Danny Ings as well. I mean, obviously, his his game has grown significantly since then. But uh, do you remember anything about playing against him? Or the, was, he, was he just an annoyance? Because he was quite fast at that point before his injuries.
2: No, he was a good goal scorer, Danny, even at that level at that time. Um, so we, we were very aware of the Bournemouth player. that's some good players. I mean, Harry Arter played as well, I think. Um, there was a few other players. I don't know if Sermon was there then at that time. I'm not sure. Um, I think... Um, had a few other players that were that have continued to play for Bournemouth and come through. I think Francis might have been there as well. Uh, Daniels, the left back. Um, so, they had a good team. So, you know, did Danny Ings have any great moments against us that season? Probably not. But we were aware of him as being
1: a, a good player, yeah. And obviously that game, you know, we talked a lot about that game, but not, not the main... Reason, which, of course, has is, is gone down the Southampton folklore as the Oscar Goburn <laughs> derby, purely for, purely for the most missed time challenge I think I've ever seen in my entire life. And he had long legs, Oscar. And, yeah, someone was missing a shoulder after that. Um, I, just, I just wondered, we'll touch on it quickly because you mentioned a few teams and we'll talk about the Portsmouth games because there were more to come for you. But the, the one I felt more than Bournemouth uh, was a rivalry with Brighton, which... I think it was more obvious where that had been born from. You said we would had a, had a poor start and we were playing catch up pretty much all season with Brighton, who were playing really well under Gus Poyet, a South Coast team that obviously Southampton had always been the big team on the South Coast, and they were getting one over us. I think um, Nigel maybe stirred the pot a little bit with uh, with Poyet. I remember him being being asked about it and uh, about us catching up with them, and he said, oh, let's just see if they can keep up with us. And at that point, we, we were a little bit off the pace, and I think maybe deemed arrogant by Gus Poyet. but that seemed to be a, a massive one for us. And that game at the with Dean, probably the biggest game of the entire season. And uh, I think we were 1-0 down, and obviously won it late on with, with Jose Font. What do you remember of that rivalry and that game? Because that was that was absolutely massive. And uh, towards the end of the season, I think Easter Easter holidays around that time.
2: I remember the game very, very clearly. I think uh, so, uh, Brighton had been promoted. I think I think they might have even been champions at the time. And we knew how important the game was. We were very aware of the rivalry. I knew some of the Brighton players, and they'd sent me a few pictures. Um, before, and the, I think they got promoted maybe the week before, a couple of weeks before. They sent me a few pictures of them drinking on the bus, um, celebrating their promotions, and, and brilliant, brilliant for them. And I used to look at their pictures and think, right, I want that as well. Um, so we knew the game was massive. Before the game, the hostility was there when I used to go in, the captain and the manager and the captain from the other team and the other manager or the coach, they go and see the referees before the game. There was a bit of tension in the referees' room beforehand, a, a, a kind of disagreement. I can't remember what the disagreement was over, but uh, Nigel Atkins and Charlie Oakway, the assistant at uh, Brighton, had a bit of a few words in the, in the manager's office before the game. So the tension was there. And obviously Brighton going 1-0 up didn't help. Um, and obviously me returning as a former Brighton player, I was getting a bit of stick. So <laughs> a great game, great atmospheres to play in. It was a boiling hot day. We played pretty well that day, actually. Um, but it really changed when and David Connolly I think came on and got the equalizer, and then we scored late. And I just remember the atmosphere at the air at the, when we scored the second goal, and the fans coming onto the uh, the running track, and us going to celebrate with them, and Nigel shouting at us to, to, to keep our concentration, and us getting excited, and it was just a a brilliant day, and it was a, it was the best way to kind of beat Brighton last minute Um, because they thought they were going to ruin the party for us I think they were very determined to not allow us to get promoted because of the dislike between Gus and Nigel and I knew I was fully aware of that afterwards as well because when I went on loan to Brighton obviously I worked under Gus and we spoke about that as well which was an interesting rivalry but no a great day and I just remember that the Kelvin putting the ball in the box Ricky winning the header and just seeing the ball floating and had oh, wow. Jose went in the head and the ball floating and whether Ricky claims it or not, I don't know. And <laughs> just the celebrations after were,
1: were were brilliant. What was Gus's take on it? Interestingly, all those years back, looking back at it, did it what what did he say to you? I don't know what is issue. They just
2: they were just different personalities. And Gus is a brilliant. Uh, Gus is a brilliant manager. I really enjoyed working under him. Um, but Gus is uh, quite temperamental, and. It, they just didn't like each other. I think it was that arrogant comment, um, a bit like I said about maybe Bournemouth not giving us respect. I, th- I think he maybe felt that us at Southampton didn't, didn't give Brighton the respect that they probably deserved, which was maybe true, maybe untrue. I don't know. But yeah, they really, they really didn't like each other, which <laughs> was, which was good. That's all. I, I love that bit about football, the emotion. As long as it doesn't spill over and go too far and it gets personal. I think that's too far but a, a healthy rivalry and competition that's what football's all about and that's what makes especially for the fans you go to that day and you can feel the tension it makes it more exciting um so yeah they they, they definitely didn't get on
1: and uh and it all came down to that last game of the season at, against warsaw again a game that we should be winning and the game the sort of game that we'd won at a canter many times that season but Huddersfield were so bloody annoying that season because I'm pretty sure they went about 19 games on the spin without losing or winning them or that we just couldn't get rid of them shows how important that that win at Brighton was the first of what was to be two promotions in two years but another end to a season of success what was the promotion party like after that I mean we obviously all got to enjoy the on-pitch party with with the with the pitch invasion one of many pitch invasions around that time but how, how were things after I remember a, a few of the boys going out into town and, and having a bit of a, a drink with with some of the fans after the JPT similar sort of scenes after that and and was it was it pretty soon after you guys were down straight back to business and getting ready for the next season? Did you know what
2: it was really good celebrations don't get me wrong and the dressing room was brilliant and uh, it was more it was relief as well as celebrations and the club, I can't actually. The club hired um, a restaurant, a bar restaurant, for us all to go to with our families, and, and um, uh, I don't think the children come that time. But for the families, we had a few good drinks, we had a really good meal. All the staff members there, so it was brilliant. It, but it didn't get too wild because we had a game the next day. We had to play a game the next day. There was a charity game at the stadium. We had to play in it, and we were fully aware of this. We had and we had to play against some of the older pros. the previous players so we were yes did we get drunk yeah but did it get as wild as it could have done probably not i think uh we were fully aware that we had to turn up the next day in a a reasonable state and we had to we had to have another game so but no brilliant celebrations great way to finish the season and the best bit of the, the day was celebrating with the fans you know the fans coming on the pitch and holding us up as players and you just felt the importance of it and then us being up in the, in the, in the stand and seeing the fans on the, on the pitch. Just, just brilliant, brilliant memories and singing songs together, celebrating together. You just can't buy them moments. I don't care what you achieve in football or you don't achieve in football, you achieve in life. They're memories that you share together are amazing and i mean for the fans as well not just the players you feel that you feel oh, you feel as one you feel like that community i mentioned with my fitness platform you feel though like you've done it together and you have achieved it together we can have done it out without the fans and the fans can't do it without us and the coaching staff and everyone so it was a real team effort and we were lucky enough that one thing i'm very very grateful for we got promoted on the final day of the season two days in a row in a home fixture so we could celebrate really? with the fans. And that was, they, they're the moments I remember. Do I remember going into town and getting drunk and celebrating little bits? But the bits celebrating with the players in the dressing room and with the fans on the pitch, they're the things that I, I sit sometimes and just have a good smile about. They're, they're the good bits.
1: It might might be a slightly, might be another reason why you can't remember all the uh, celebrations and, and drinks out in town though, Dean. It might be a different conversation <laughs> altogether. But yeah, that, that, that was brilliant. And like you said, we were fortunate in that it, all, it came down to the wire. I mean, we'll get promoted in any which way you can, you'll take a promotion. But, you know, getting get automatic promotion on the last day of the season on that day and in convincing style as well probably helps with the nerves on the pitch. It's 0-0 or one-one with Warsaw, and you're getting towards the end, and you're hearing that Huddersfield are winning. Then, then it's probably not as enjoyable. But we, we were, we had that game won pretty early, and you can you can start to, to feel the fans getting closer to the pitch, and, and, and it's coming. And to, to celebrate at home, for you as players, but for us as fans, was 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 something uh, that we we never forget. What we're, maybe weren't expecting to make it an annual event, though. <laughs> and uh, at the, we've, we've been promoted, you have your pre-season, you, you come back day one, and it's a different vibe, certainly outside of the Southampton fan base and the team, because you're not odds-on to win the league, you're not amongst the favourites, you've just been promoted, you're playing against teams like West Ham, who are in the Premier League. The last season and you, you brought a few players in but I know Nigel Atkins didn't want to bring in too many because he wanted to keep the core of the team that played so well and was pretty convincing in his, in his belief that they were the guys to give us the best chance of of getting up to the Premier League whether that be straight away or not what was the the overall feeling at the beginning of the season and, and what was the what was the general goal you know did, did it seem different or was it was it momentum and from from that last day of the season, did you just think, you know, we want that again, get, you know, we're good enough?
2: We definitely knew we were good enough um, with the players within the squad, 100%. And the, the target was, we came back first day of pre-season, we had a team <laughs> meeting, the manager called a team meeting, we sat in the in the room together where we would analyse all the games and, and everything. And the manager said, well, right, well, we're going to get promoted this year. And that's the target. And that was the honest... I can see here it now, it's easy to say because we got promoted, but we had the meeting, he was like, we're going to get promoted this year. Um, I'm going to bring a couple of players in, but you're going to be a nukes as the squad um, and we're going to go for it. And from day one, that was it. That was in our minds. We worked diligently during pre-season. We were always one of the fittest teams. Um, we done everything with the balls. We had a really good preparation in Switzerland. Um, we had a good pre-season um, and we started the season on fire. Yes, we had the momentum from the previous season of being promoted and we felt a little bit lighter as well because we didn't quite have that expectation. We were still one of the biggest clubs in the championship because we're Southampton Football Club. But it wasn't like being in League One where we were supposed to win the league by 10, 15 points. Uh, we needed to have a... The expectation was to have a, a decent account of ourselves in the season, I would have thought. Um so we felt that and we just started the season on fire and, and the competition for places within the squad was red hot. So every day in training was competitive, was hard, um, was fierce, got on really well as a group off the pitch. But training was heated sometimes, which was brilliant. I mean, you had to fight for your position and I think that's why we were so successful. And, but the aim at the start of the season
1: uh, was promotion. I feel like that nucleus was strong because like you said, two seasons before in January, I remember we were we were buying players, not with an eye on getting promoted uh, to the championship, but with an eye getting into the Premier League and buying players like Jose Font, Jason Punchard in that, in that window where we thought they're not just going to be good enough for this level, but we're looking ahead to that next level. I remember hearing Alan Pardew, I think he was a pundit, on, on a, a cup game or one show somewhere where, he, where he'd, he'd said that, uh, exactly that. You talk about us starting like house on fire. We're, we're at home to Leeds. It's on Sky. You're already grinning because you know what's coming. I'm sure you have been told a million times. You're, um, we're playing Leeds. And it's, a, it's a difficult first game of the season. You know you're going up a level. You're playing the likes of Leeds. And it's on Sky, as I say. I mean, you've scored some, some decent goals. I think it's fair to say mostly with either your head or your, or your right foot. That 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 one at Peterborough, which definitely wasn't off the training ground. From 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 what I hear, you I mean you took it well, but I think Andy Crosby had something to do with that. But what first uh, two prong question? What possessed you to take the ball off of Adam Lallana yeah. before it got to him, run towards the goal, and twenty five yards out, smash it with your left foot? Because I know you from what you said before, you don't. You don't particularly rate that element of your game or that <laughs> that leg, and, and looking back at it, do you realise how important that goal was? I mean, it's 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 it might be an exaggeration, but we, you score that goal, which which sets us on our way, gets the ball rolling to get that first win. So maybe there's a bit of that belief, a bit of confidence. But then we started the season really well. We were beating teams, you know, beat Ipswich five two, won sort of our first four or five games and then we never really looked back you know it, it all kind of started with your trusty left boot
2: <laughs> do you want know, to look back at that trusty left boot it was definitely my left boot um, yeah i look i had a really it would be, i'd had a really interesting pre-season if i'd honest if i'm honest um, i was really fit and strong i got myself in a good position um, but jack Cook had come in and Morgan signing was rated very highly by by the manager um, so i knew it was Going to be difficult potentially. I hadn't started every preseason game, um, and then the preseason game before the season start. I think we played Yeovil, and I had food poisoning, so I didn't play um, and was sick and, and lost a bit of weight. And for some reason, I just got this inkling that I might start the game. And the manager pulled me on the Thursday and said, "Look, how are you feeling? Are you feeling all right?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm feeling good." He said, are "You ready to play?" I said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll play. I'll, I'll play whenever." Um, and didn't expect to play, but I played instead of Morgan. And I just knew that I needed to do something a little bit different, that I needed to keep my place and I needed to I needed to put a marker down to say, look, I still wanna I'm I'm still wanna be captain, I still want to play on this team, I still want to be an integral part, I still want to be an important part. So I knew I needed to do something different. Did I know I was gonna score from 20 yards on my left foot? No, I didn't envision that. But taking a ball off Adam Nalana, I think once I'd taken it off him, I knew I had to do something good with it. Otherwise, I would hear about it. Um, But I just got in that position and I don't know, really. Got in a position, saw it and thought, why not? Why not? You know, like bring the momentum as a team from League One. I bought some momentum from from that myself individually. And I just thought, why not? And luckily enough, it went in and it was an amazing feeling. really was to score at that end. I, I think that was my only goal at that end, I think, at the St Mary's. To, to, to celebrate in front of the, shall we say, the hardcore fans maybe behind that goal. Um, that was, that that meant a lot. And like you say, just kind of
1: seemed to set the tone and, and we never looked back after that. You pride yourself on, on leading by example and that was, that was probably a, a case in point. Because like you said, after that, we won the game and we, we carried on winning games.
2: Definitely. And um, I think you have to as captain. And I think that's how I try to try to lead as captain. Like I say, there wouldn't have been massive speeches and stuff in in the dressing room for myself. I was very vocal on the pitch um and tried to lead lead example as a player and um hopefully I did that and and that's the way i I chose to do it
0: during that season so many memories so many great games i mean you got west ham you got the west both both west ham games especially the one at home you're at the top of the league and suddenly the big boys that used to be in the premier league are coming in and they're thinking right we're going to end we're going to end that um th- that winning home run and then it was only one nil but you pretty much dominated them for a lot of the game although i do remember at one point you you headed it back towards goal and it went uh, your own goal and it just about hit the post before going out but um, I digress because you have got the Coventry game you have got Leeds away where Kelvin was a man possessed are there these are very obvious memories of that season but are there any other moments that maybe stand out to you more than it would to us fans are there any particular games that personally stand out for
2: you um it's a really good question I think um we played Middlesbrough at home I think that was an important game. I think we won 3-0, 4-0, something like that. Um, and again, they're one of the favourites to go up and we completely dominated them for, for 90 minutes and um, really put a marker down. And I think I can only re- I remember that, that we had the team meeting on the Monday and it was one of the most dominated games in terms of possession and the amount of chance that we created. So that was really important. Um, and I think it was more the reaction after certain games. I think when we... We went to we went to Brighton and, and Ricky Lambert got sent off and played really, really well that day actually first half, but lot ended up losing the game 3-0, I think, something like that. But then we played we had a, a big team meeting after the game actually in the dressing room and and just kind of some home truths were, were said, which is quite surprising when you're top of the league. You usually get that when you're at the bottom, but there was a few home truths from between the players, just uh, um, talking openly, saying that you know we can't let sort of, this opportunity slip. Um, we're top of the league. We've got a great opportunity to get promoted. We need to stick together.
1: Um, and I think we went on a good
2: run after that.
1: So, who did that stem from, Dean? Who who are the voices? at your top of the league, and and and, and not calling each other out, but really trying to make sure you don't let this slip. Who who are the guys? Uh, was it yourself or or, or Calvin yeah. Ricky?
2: No, I think, obviously, as captain, I think I started the conversation, I think, that day. Um, I think that came from a bit of emotion for myself, obviously, being an ex-Brighton player and going back and and losing 3-0 at the Amex and getting some personal abuse is not always great. So, um, But it wasn't because of that. But I think I remember I started the conversation with Fraser Richardson. Uh, I think me and him started it and then everyone else kind of joined in. And, and the, what we had in the dressing room, everyone would say what they thought. Everyone would... There wouldn't be any quiet voices. There wouldn't be anyone hiding. Going, well, I can't really say that. It was an open dressing room, and the communication between the players was was honest. And you didn't always want to hear it, but we were always very respectful towards each other. Um, even if something needed to be said, it was said in the right manner. Um, and you know, Kelvin would obviously lead a lot of a lot of it, um, but it came from came from all of us. But in that instance, I think I started that conversation with Fraser, and then it carried on. Then the coaching staff getting involved and. And that was the group we had. We were hungry players. We were really—that was the one thing that people didn't quite appreciate about us. You know, we had talent within that squad. Really, really top-quality players that had gone on to play consistent in the Premier League, play for their countries. Joseph Font has won a European Championship. You know, Adam Lallana, Ricky Lambert play for England. Noel Morgan's play for France. Probably played in World Cups and different things. But we were hungry. You know, we were. We saw an opportunity that year to achieve something for us and for the football club, and there was no way we we're going to let it slip. And if that meant a few home truths came out, so what? If that meant that training got a little bit tasty now and again and players fell out, so what? We wanted to we wanted to achieve something, so um,
1: that's where it really stemmed from. They came across, I mean, pushing each other on and off the pitch, and you, you mentioned that Middlesbrough game as well. And I can't can't go on to the next point without saying that that, that involved one of my favourite Southampton goals. Ever so underrated. I mean, you must have you must have had about ten touches uh, in central midfield, you guys, because we that was it. Connolly who scored the goal where we I think they counted that there were like thirty odd passes and we just cut them through, and that was the kind of football we were playing for the, for a season and a half by that point, um, and we were doing it in the right way under Atkins as well, and it was it was so impressive to watch. But those sorts of games must just be so fun for you because I know there's. The side of your game that everyone probably thinks of when they think of Dean Hammond is, is you know 50-50s and, and leading the team into battle and, and kind of um, winning those midfield battles to, to win those tense games but it must have been great fun having so much possession and, and, and watching the forward players kind of cutting through uh, defences like that Middlesbrough one that day. Yeah I mean they're, they're the best games they're playing and when you had attacking players like we did, it was, you
2: know, our job was easy, especially mine, win the ball back and give it to the better players. It's, it's, it's an easy job for me. So I used to I used to love it, but you get towards the end of the game and you're 3-0 up or 4-0 up. I can't remember the, that um, certain score. Um, but yeah, you want touches of the ball. You're going to get the ball in positions that you probably wouldn't do if it was a close game. You're playing 1-2. You're all moving around the pitch and playing with freedom. The the, the, the crowd's are lane and then you end up scoring a brilliant goal. It, it's fantastic and... But we did, it, we did it on purpose because we always had a team meeting on a Monday. We'd always be counting how many passes we had individually, how many passes we had at the team. So you kind of had an obligation to get your stats up. Okay. So, you know, if we were winning quite easy, it was like giving a ball, I need to, a few passes here, one, two. It was done with intention. We planned it, it was thought out, it was worked on the training ground. You know, last 10 minutes, you're thinking, yeah, I need some more touches here, we need to get some more passes in, let's get the stats up. Um, it was just a... Do you know what? It was just a brilliant time. It was just, it was fantastic. Was there ups and downs? Yes. But yeah, playing in them games where you're winning quite comfortably, you're keeping possession. You can see the opposition are are finished. They want the final whistle. That's, they're the best bits of football.
1: Just before Tom, I know you want to ask about the Coventry game and and maybe the similarities or differences with that of the Warsaw one, obviously being back in the Premier League, being the main one. But can you just give us a, a a brief idea of what it's like to play in the south coast derby especially at fratton park i think where everything's on top of you and from a from a Saints player's perspective probably feel that animosity going away what, what was it like because you played in a fair few and and you know i imagine that's your kind of game dean as well the, it is my type <laughs> of game you're right it,
2: it, it but it's tense it really is tense like you say at fratton park it was really tense and if i'm honest it's unfortunate. We never really played our best football in the Derbys. And, and that kind of happens in Derbys because they mean so much. I mean, Portsmouth were struggling that year. I don't know if they went down that year or they were near the bottom. So we should have beaten them, really. And we were the, we the favourites going into the game. Um, and I think we drew the first 1-1 one, one all at Fratton Park in the Championship year. And then we drew 2 all in the second game where we scored late and Billy Sharp mm. scored and where the Lions would give it offside and then the referee give it... And then uh, I think uh, Norris scored an absolute worldie of a a left foot volley, I think, that went in the top corner. But you felt it in a build-up. I remember remember being reminded many a time when I was out with my family about the importance of the game. I remember going into the club shop to do an appearance and one of the employees at the club would just literally stood there for five minutes telling me how important it was and, and wouldn't... (laughs) <laughs> wouldn't let me leave without me realising how important it was. And that was brilliant. I love that. And, and, and that just added to the tension. I think when we went to Fratton Park, the, the motorways were close, closed. It was like you had to get coaches in for the fans. We had to get uh, a coach from a certain um, area to another area and then go into the ground. So you knew it was going to be tense. It just One of the disappointments of that that season was obviously not winning the league, which we should have done. And not being Portsmouth, that would have put the icing on the cake. But brilliant games to play in. But yeah,
1: I don't think we ever played our best in them. I remember there was not the second one was either just before, or just after we played Reading at, at, at St Mary's as well, because we had that big game either coming up or off the back of a of a loss. So it's with Portsmouth being at the bottom, they need to win every game. But that's this is a huge game with with us. We had so many things. On our plate and it was around that kind of easter time where you were playing we had crystal palace away as well there were a lot of games that were coming at you and, and we had the squad but it's kind of hard it's very hard to win in the championship consistently which uh, we we managed to do on a regular basis but yeah the it, the tension was even if your favorites i think that makes it harder sometimes because even if your favorites you go into the games and you just even as fans, you just feel that we cannot lose to them. Like we can't lose to them, and, and unfortunately, we didn't. But that that pressure, yeah. You know, do you feel that during the game as players, or, or, or once you're in, you know, once the whistle goes, it's a game of football, and you're just going to do what you what you do. No, you do feel it. You definitely do. It's it's a it's a unique game. You do you do feel
2: the the, the tension and the importance of the game. You, there's a lot more noise before the game, during the game from both sets of fans. Um, their players are up for it. We were up for it. And um, you do you do feel it. And when you score a goal, there was huge relief and huge celebrations. You know, we celebrated, um, I think, Billy Sharp scored two that day at St Mary's, I think. Um, we scored quite early on. Um, and we celebrated more than we probably would have done if it had been a normal game. So, yeah, you definitely feel the importance of it. And I remember actually coming back on the coach from with um from the Portsmouth game at Fratton Park and sitting there with Ricky Lambert and and both of us being really disappointed and no and, and kind of having a conversation going, We've missed an opportunity there. You know, we've been promoted last year, we're looking like we're gonna get promoted this year, or we're going for promotion we've missed an opportunity to beat Portsmouth there, to be like, you know, to make it a magical season. It was still a brilliant season, don't get me wrong. Everyone would take promotion, but the ice and the cake would have been beating Portsmouth. And I remember having that conversation with Ricky and the disappointment we both had thinking, you know... I'd love to have won that game and then gone and lost two or three in a row in a row, and, but rather have won that game. Um, so yeah, that's the only dis- couple of disappointments for that, for that season.
0: That season obviously ended on a major major high. But how were you feeling in the in the dressing room before before that Coventry game? Because you had the chance to seal it up at Middlesbrough, and that game didn't go the way that we planned it, despite scoring inside the first thirty seconds or something. You're playing against Coventry. They're already relegated. They're bottom of the league. It seems almost nailed on. We're brilliant at home. What is the atmosphere like in the dressing room? Is it nerves? Is it excitement? Is it a mixture of both?
2: It was a really, it was a really interesting week, actually, building up to that. Because the manager, we'd obviously gone to Middlesbrough. We'd won 1-0 up early. Uh, we'd lost the game 2-1. Uh, we hadn't got promoted. We came back and the manager informed us that we'd be training at the stadium all week. We'd never done that before um and he said right this week we're just going to train at the stadium let's get not that we need to f- be familiar with the stadium but he wanted us to feel comfortable we're going to change in the dressing room we're going to train at the stadium we're going to eat at the stadium we're just going to spend the whole week at the stadium uh, personally it was an interesting time for me we were just my wife is expecting our our second child at any point we just we were just moving house as well so i had to stay in a hotel so it was all very very different um that that week so there was a bit of nerves. Did we do a lot more pattern of playing, a lot of 11-11 than we normally would in a week? Yes, just to make sure. But if we ever had an opportunity um, to be playing Coventry at home to get promoted to the Championship, we would have taken it all day, every day of the week. And um, Another, I remember me being in the dressing room, I used to get there quite early um, and I'd be, I was in the dressing room and I think it was only myself and Aaron Martin in there and Nicola came in and had a few quiet words with me and and just made uh, made sure I was fully aware of how important today was and that we needed to get promoted which was which was nice and no pressure <laughs> it was always good a little bit added pressure um, but yeah we won the game quite convincingly and unfortunately I got injured after 20 minutes 25 minutes and uh, we were tuning up at the time and I remember being really, really disappointed because I knew what it was like to play the season before against Warsaw, and I knew what it would like be, be like afterwards once we got promoted with the fans running on and everything. But I couldn't risk the fact that, could I have got through the game? Yes. But imagine I got through the game and we'd drawn to all because I'd made two mistakes. So I had to make the decision after 20 minutes I had to come off. So that was gutting for me, but look, we got promoted to the Premier League. Back to back promotions at home again, celebrating with the fans. So it was
1: brilliant. You still got to enjoy it. You still got to enjoy it as well. You know, coming coming off the bench. I remember that Middlesbrough game because I, I was ha- I was uh, living with uh, I was at uni and one of the guys I lived with was a Reading fan. So um, they <laughs> started the season pretty poorly, so they weren't really in on on my radar. And then they went on that run and and uh, I remember we, I was watching the game there and we went one 0 up. And he wasn't happy. I was, and uh, and then, uh, uh, do we have a disallowed goal? Or I remember, or either that, or, or we were in, and then it was brought back because Lambert was adjudged to have taken it off the never off the pitch. By the way, that I was sort of a fuming at that point, and obviously then it doesn't go your way. But to it's a, it's a handpick a game for the last game of the season, similar to the to the Warsaw one, and and like you said, to be two 0 up after twenty minutes by the time you go off. You didn't have to. You didn't have to do it the hard way on those last two. Those last two games of, this, of, of each season. But w- was it was it different? Did it feel different? Was it? Did it eclipse what you'd done twelve months before on that day, or were you, was it just a bit of déjà vu? I think it eclipsed what we'd done the previous season because obviously
2: you've gone up a level again, and it was back-to-back promotions. It was in a harder division. We weren't expected to do it, even though we were confident we could do it and we just knew what an achievement it would be so did it eclipse it I think so if I'm honest but they were both as special as as each other both promotions for different reasons but no just 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 brilliant times and it's hard to really explain what it was like and and and, and what an, an adventure it was and what a journey it was and how much fun it was and It was hard work, but it was just, it was brilliant. And and, uh, when that final whistle went and the fans ran on the pitch again and we were celebrating in the dressing room again, it was just thinking, and the families were there. I remember going down a tunnel, coming in at the final whistle and the kids were there and the families there and the kids running up to the players and sending it with your wife. And moments like that, like I say, you you just, you can never repeat. And they're just magical moments. So I would say it did eclipse it, but
1: it, it was very, very close. I think the main difference. I don't know about for you, Tom, because you'd probably not you'd not been able to see us play in the Premier League before then. I'd, I'd been lucky enough to see um, us a few seasons before we went down, but that was the that was the main difference. The first time round was was getting winning the league and getting promoted was fantastic, but realizing that we were in the Premier League again and and remembering back to what was it seven eight years before and thinking, oh, you know, we're going to be Playing all these big teams next season again, and we'll be on, we'll be on match of the day, and we'll be, you know, we'll be on, uh, you know, coming full, full. Well, we have full stadiums anyway, but just those thinking the players that you're going to be able to see us come up against, and it was just that the Premier League was the big overriding feeling that I remember sort of trying to pinch yourself, thinking, you know, you know, three seasons ago we were on the brink of going under, two seasons ago we were in League One, and now, now we are where we are, just kind of seemed to round off what a huge achievement it had been from from that collective group which have pretty much stayed kind of the same from maybe the January of that first season
0: my first game was in that relegation season so I don't think I really appreciate it going down into the championship but then when it's coming back up and then going into the uh going into the Premier League was absolutely fantastic and Dean I mean I, I I've got I've got to ask you because and I hate to take the take the tone down, but we go up, we're into the Premier League. Were you disappointed with how things ended? Do you think that yes, you did have the ability to be part of that Premier League side?
2: I definitely believe I had the ability, personally, yes. Um was I disappointed? Yeah, of course I was. I'd been on the journey from 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 League One and um to, to, to have back to win the Paints Trophy at Wembley to have back to back promotions. You know, the dream would have been as captain to walk out and, and, and walk out as captain of Southampton in the Premier League. Would have been fantastic. It would have been. Um, but it wasn't to be. And, and that's football. Um, and it happens in football. Football is all about opinions. I was competing against some excellent players in Jack Court, Morgan Snyder and Stephen Davis had come in. Richard Chaplow was there. James Will Prowse was just coming into the first team. So... Was I gutted? Yes. Did it take a while to, to get past it? Yes. But, you know, I couldn't have dreamed that, you know, if when I signed for Southampton that we were within three season, we would have been in the Premier League. So I've got no regrets. I've got no grudges against the football club. I love the football club. I owe the football club a lot. They were very, very good in helping me move on um, and get a good loan move, um, which helped my family because I could stay at home and I, I could go on loan to Brighton. But yeah, would it have been on the icing cake to walk out of Man City as captain for Southampton in the Premier League? Yeah, of course.
0: And it would have been great to have, if the opportunity arose for you to repeat Leeds all over again and hit a 30-yarder. But you did get to play in the Premier League with Leicester. Did it feel strange that it was with Leicester and not with Saints? Or were you just really happy to just, just be part of the Premier League?
2: No, that's a good question, actually. It didn't feel strange. Um, I wanted it to be with Southampton. I really did. But it, it wasn't to be, like I said. And then when I went to Brighton and we met, we got to the playoffs and, and we lost in the playoffs, I thought, OK, is this actually ever going to happen to me? Went to Leicester. We won the championship at the counter. Had a brilliant team, very similar to the team we had at Southampton. Really, really strong comparisons. And then getting the opportunity to actually play in the Premier League for Leicester it meant a lot. It, did, it meant so much because it was my dream goal, if I'm honest. It was my... I never really believed it was going to happen, but I was going to give my best shot. And when it did happen, and then I played a continual amount of games in that season, and we had a really, really good season. Um, I picked up a lot of injuries, unfortunately, because it's easy to understand why now. Because to play at that level, I had to push my body to its maximum. I really did. And my body just couldn't handle it on a consistent basis. And I understand that now, but I didn't understand that at the time. So no, I'm very, very grateful to to achieve a, a dream goal of playing in the Premier League. I wish it had been for Southampton at the time, but I'm very, very grateful it was for Leicester.
1: So I just wanted to um, ask you, Dean, I mean, we're going we're to finish off with a few sort of just like quickfire questions at you so we can just rattle through because there's so much we want to ask you and we realise we're, we're pushing you for time. Um, just before we get into that, there's one thing I wanted to, to ask you. We, we always sort of saw you as, as a box-to-box midfielder a leader tough tackling fitness is a really big part of your game and, and, a, and a great engine but also a, a captain on the field where you often hear I think of like Roy Keane and you think of the players he played with and they always say you always knew that as a captain and as your central midfielder you know, you're going into battle and you'd look over and you'd see him there and that would give you confidence that you were you know he had your back and always got that kind of feeling from you and and as a captain as a leader as a tough tackler and you'd lead by example but do you think there are any traits that maybe went underrated that you think maybe didn't get the credit for and 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 maybe that you could have shown in the premier league with with Southampton because it's easy to pigeonhole a player because you're so good at certain things but do you think anything you know apart from that left foot do you think anything else went under the radar I'd <laughs> like to have seen that left foot match with that I think,
2: I think you're right. Um, ah, I don't know. It's, it's a good question. Um, I think um, I was very happy with the player I was. You know, would we all like to be like Messi and Ronaldo and score 40, 50 goals a season? Of course. Um, but that wasn't, that wasn't my role in the team. And I was, very, I was very happy to play my role in the team. I always took it as though I was appreciated by my teammates. I think I made other players around me better because I allowed them to be the players they could be, I would do the, the horrible stuff. I like I say, I would win the ball back. I would give it to the better players to go and express themselves, give them the opportunity, and I was happy to do that. Did I have other attributes? Was I good in possession? I think so. Yeah. Um, did I? Did I? You know, could I find the eye-splitting pass through a needle occasionally? But it wasn't really part of my game. Um, but I think I'd love to have played with Southampton in the Premier League because I think the Premier League really suited me, especially in the position I played. In the Premier League, it's it's different. It's not end to end. It's not a basketball game. You, you watch the games now; it's very calculated. You play in certain areas of the pitch. Teams drop back into shape. You try and intercept balls instead of trying to tackle all the time. And I felt as though I read the game really well. My positioning sense was good. I felt that when I played for Leicester, I intercepted a lot of the ball and. There's more possession in the Premier League. You get a little bit more time on the ball in certain areas, especially in the middle of the pitch. And I felt as though if I had the opportunity, I could have I could have played for Southampton in the Premier League. I believe that, but it wasn't my time. You know, I really believe things happen for a reason in life. And I was meant to go to back to Brighton to right some wrongs there, which wouldn't have happened if I played for Southampton in the Premier League. And I was meant to go to Leicester and achieve my dream there, I won the championship, I played in the Premier League, I met some good people that are friends today so I wouldn't change it but did I feel as though I had the attributes to your question to play in the Premier League?
0: Obviously we've kept you for quite some time so we're going to just rattle through a few quick fire questions as it were and one question I, I was really interested in is that at your time at Southampton obviously we talk about yourself, Jose, Kelvin, Ricky, Adam, the ones that stand out, those are the ones that people get on the back of their shirts. Is there any player in the squad that you think didn't get the credit that they deserved? Was there a player that sort of went really under the radar, but you think whenever they're on the pitch, you know, you're happy to have them because they do a really good job that maybe just goes a bit unnoticed by fans?
2: There's a few, if I'm honest, you know... There really is a few, but if you want me to pick one player that was really good whenever he played, and he played reasonably consistent, but he was absolutely fantastic in the dressing room and good for the players, you'd have to say Danny Butterfield.
0: I knew it was going to be him.
2: <laughs> you know, Paul, Paul Watton, when I first came to the club, played a similar role. Very experienced players. Whenever they played, you you're 7 out of 10. Um, and Danny played a really, really pivotal role in the league one promotion and the Premier and the championship promotion, him and Fraser Richard are fine for that position. And Ricky Lambert, if you ask Ricky Lambert love playing with um, Danny Butterfield because of the crosses he put in, you know, put it on, put it right on Ricky's head and score a lot of goals. So, you know, if Danny was playing, you knew he'd put in a performance, um, but really, really good off the pitch as well. Really one of the funniest guys you'll ever meet in your life to so keep you on your toes. But, actually a really intelligent guy as well. So, you know, if, if certain things needed saying, like we spoke about earlier people speaking up in the dressing room, Danny would always have something to say, but he would be very constructive um, and very important. So maybe maybe Danny
1: Butterfield. I don't think you're alone in saying that. I, th- I think he was a really popular Figure around the, the squad at that time. From from things I've heard, his name always seems to to pop up. I wanted to ask you. You've I mean you've played with a lot of good players and and a lot of young players that have gone on to achieve big things. But if you if you had to pick one player that you played with at a, at a reasonably young age that you knew there and then that he was going to be a top top player, uh, who who was who was your money on? Who did you kind of have that feeling from the off? I mean that's that Was guaranteed, you get that feeling from anyone playing there thinking this young lad is, it's, it's is two, be players, to
2: two players Adam Nalana and Morgan Snyling. When I first come to the club, both of them were young players playing in the first team. Um, but you just knew you knew they were there was something different about them, especially Adam. Adam was just naturally gifted, but he was naturally gifted as well because he worked hard, he worked really hard, and he loved the game. Same with Morgan, once Morgan had understood that he needed to be at Southampton, that he didn't need to go back to France. You know, he was only a young kid at 17. That Southampton was the best club for him to be at, to, to to develop in the right way with the coaches at the football club. He was always going to be a top player and he was brilliant. And same with Adam. Um, you could say Oxlade-Chamberlain as well. You know, when he first came and trained with the first team, he just gliding past people. He looked like a 12-year-old. He was only 16, 17, but he was fit. He was strong. Really confident boy. So, them three in particular. James Wall prowse always had a really good chance because of his attitude. Um, he's turned into an amazing player that I think we all saw and he's doing fantastic things and he's going to get better and better. But the one thing he had, he, his attitude was brilliant. He worked hard every day. He listened. He wanted to learn. So, But out of them four, I'd say Adam Lana, If you had to put money on that, he was going to be a player you'd have to say, Adam.
0: Since you uh, left the club, um, we've had quite a few managers, but which out of Pochettino, Kuman, and Hasenhutl would you have loved to play under the most?
2: Oh, wow. Um, well, speaking to the players, they loved their time with Pochettino. They really did. Um, very highly rated. He built a really amazing culture um, at the club that the players said that involved all the staff as well. They played a brilliant brand of football and was very, very successful. But at that time, I didn't watch as much of Southampton as I possibly could have done because obviously I was still playing and playing in a different league. So I'd probably have to say the current manager, just because I watch a lot more of the games and I really love the way he plays.
0: Do you think you you would be fit enough to be able to play in that Hasenhuttle game?
2: <laughs> in my, when I was a footballer? Yeah. Oh, do you know what, Do you know why? Because I would have made myself fit enough. I would have, I would have pushed my body and found a way, 100%. So I, yeah, I would have found a way. But I think, um, manager, the 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 one thing that I love at Southampton has been very, very consistent within the club. Is their recruitment of players is good, and the recruitment of managers is good. Now, occasionally does it go wrong? Yes. Do occasionally get a player wrong? Yes. But eight, nine times out of ten, they find a manager that that fits the philosophy at the football club and. The best decision they've made is after they lost to Leicester in that heavy defeat is to stay with the manager. And it's just look at it now. You give a manager a bit of time. You give him the chance to bring his own philosophy and bring his own players in, bring his own style in. It just works. And I think if they can keep hold of him because he will be attracting attention because of what he's
1: done. um, There's going to be a lot of success at the club. Yeah, definitely. I think after a glut of not poor managers, but managers that didn't fit. With uh, what we were doing, as soon as Cumin went, and we got more negative and went in a different way, I think once Ralph came back in, and we could see what he was doing, uh, that's that's probably what kept him in the job because uh, he obviously didn't get the results, but you could see that he was putting us back on the on the path to playing that in in what's been coined the Southampton way. I might rephrase this question a bit because you sort of said you weren't really uh, one for the Churchill speeches, but was there a, a a standout speech or team talk, whether it be from yourself or maybe another player or a manager during your time at Southampton, that you kind of, you go back to, I mean, you mentioned the one where you, you and Fraser Richardson started a conversation and then you, everyone sort of chimed in. But do you ever remember a, a time or a place or a particular game? It was maybe Nicola Cortese. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, probably not. I remember
2: actually saying that one that had a real effect because it was different was the Brighton game. When we played at the Wyftain and we were losing 1-0, Nigel Atkins came in and it was probably the one time only I saw him at uh, Southampton where he lost his temper. And he proper Amazing. he proper, not proper went for us, but he, 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 <laughs> it, it was a dressing down at half-time. You know, he was kicking things. Um, And I'd never seen him like that. And I I believe now he'd done it intentionally, but he planned that, obviously, walking back to the dressing room thinking, right, I've got to do something different here to raise the spirits to get us back into the game. So potentially that. Can I tell you what he said? I can't really remember. (laughs) I just remember thinking, well, this is different. And I think he went round and he went for a few of the players and said a few home twos. Um, and it had an effect we ended up winning the game um, and he never did it again so apart from that i can't remember many things there was obviously old conversations the brighton one but we used to we won a lot of games and we used to play some yeah. good football so it was it wasn't that many times that, that were needed and and especially under nigel it was very very calm it was very okay look we're coming at half time the players we had 5 minutes to to to, to get dressed down, to have a drink, to get ourselves whatever we need to do, change shirts, shorts or whatever. And then he'd want to sit us down and then he'd just be very, very calm and just talk very tactically, right? Like, this is what we need to do different. There wasn't any Churchill speeches. There wasn't any throwing of cups and teas. It was very much like we need to do this better. This is their weaknesses. This is what we're not doing. Well, if we do this, we'll be able to win the game. So it was quite calm. That's why I think that Brighton halftime team, well, team talk had a bit of an effect and probably just raised... The spirits a little bit because we were all in shock I think it wasn't more that it motivated us it was kind of just lifted a bit of relief or a little bit of tension off thinking well that was quite amusing wasn't it so we went out and won the game. I can't Seems imagine like...
0: Nigel as, uh, as someone to lose his temper and just you know you, you I, I can imagine you're just sat in there just thinking what is he he's never done this before this is uh this is this is new. Yeah
1: nobody laughed nobody laughed <laughs> it seems like, it seems like Brighton bought that side out of uh, yeah. out, Nigel, more, more than yeah, anything maybe maybe you 'd got a look off Gus Poyet on the way down the tunnel and thought <laughs> right'm I'm, i 'm I'm having them but was there anything i mean you can go through the the commentary game the warsaw game the, the jpt final those Portsmouth games was there ever when, when the big games came about obviously a different manager for the for the jpt but was it always a, a similar um Kind of atmosphere or a similar way? Did, did, did everyone kind of just know, or was there ever a big talk needed by a manager or, or a senior player?
2: No, it's, it's, I, I know it's a little bit disappointing for you because you want to hear all these stories, but it it's amazing <laughs> no. be, amazing conversation, but not really. The preparation was done during the week, really. We used to have a team meeting on a Monday going through the reflection of the previous game. We'd have a team meeting on a Friday in preparation for the game on the Saturday or if you played on a Tuesday, the Monday, or whatever. But if it was Saturday, Saturday, review on a Monday, team meeting on a Friday in preparation, work during the week in terms of team shape. Everything in training during that week would be all different drills and everything, but it would be on the way we were going to play. So if a team played narrow, we'd be put about getting the ball wide. There'd be different keep games about switching the play, getting it wide. So it was getting all the routines into you in the preparation for the week. So instead of spending 20 minutes before the match when you're there, Given a speech saying you need to do this and this and this we've done it during the week we've worked for a whole week on exactly what we need to do and it was just little reminders you know Nigel used to have a clipboard he'd write up a few things that what we need to do switch the ball play get the diagonal balls or one twos around the box get the players the wide players into holes the the fullbacks overlapping so it was just reminders really and he, he occasionally would then you know, pick a player and say, "What do you need to do today?" And you'd have to answer, just so you knew what you were doing. But it was all pretty calm, if I'm honest, um, because we'd done so much work during the week. It was more more just about helping us feel relaxed to go into to go into the game, really. Yeah, the players we got ourselves rolled up. You know, a few minutes before we go out, a bit of shouting, a bit of you know wishing each other luck, and a bit of hugging and stuff like that to get us to get us going as we come out the dressing room. Um, so, but we were we were definitely definitely prepared before each game, um,
1: but no major speeches, no. It's definitely not a um, not a disappointment in that answer. You've given us a gem in telling us the most posit- positive man in the world lost his rag once. So it's just good to get an idea in in, in the dressing room in those really big games of what that such a successful team were, were doing. Because sometimes you need someone to to get the team up. But it seemed like we had a, a team where. Everyone knew, and we were winning, and we knew what we needed to do, and it was kind of asked to lose, and uh, and you didn't need reminding of, of, of what was on what was on the line. Um, I think there was more there was more
2: reminders <coughs> on the pitch. So If it wasn't going well, we weren't doing what we needed to do. That we, that we would get on to each other as players. There was more on the pitch, as in talked, shouting, motivating, inspiring can't swear, bollockings basically on the pitch when it matters. It ha- we did it in the right players when it mattered. We can all do it in the dressing room. We can all do it at the training ground. But on the pitch, when it matters, when you're playing for the three points and it's real and it's live, that's when it matters. And we were we were more than happy to to uh, motivate each other on the pitch and um, speak the truth if it was needed.
1: And one last one, sorry, Dean, from me, and, and you might already have answered it sort of in one of your previous ones but who was your favourite central midfield partner would it, would it be Morgan Schneidlin obviously saying how, how good you knew he was going to be was he did he help you get the best out of your game was, was there a particular central midfield that really kind of you you partnered up really well with and and, and play to each other's strengths I couldn't pick between Morgan and and Corky, if I'm honest, because I love playing with both of them. Um,
2: But did they teach me a lot? Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, Morgan was a technically brilliant player Um, and his awareness and um, the way he positioned his body when he was receiving the ball, I used to watch him. It doesn't matter if a player's younger than you, older than you, more experienced, less experienced, different position. You can learn off them all the time. So I really enjoy playing with Morgan, but I also really enjoy playing with Corky. Um, and I think me and Corky complemented each other quite well. Um, there wasn't that attacking threat or massive goal-scoring threat from either of us in the middle of the field. Um, but I think we'd done what a central midfield player needed to do very, very well. Um, so I wouldn't be able to pick between them two because i really enjoyed playing with both of them. And when we played as a freeze, sometimes, that worked. And obviously you had Richard Chaplow as well, who was a, A good player and played wide right a lot of the time but if he played central midfield that worked as well so between the four of us um, i don't think you'll get many better four players in the championship because the other three were very very talented
1: we were really strong i remember in the championship in that in that position that was probably the strongest area of the pitch for us
0: it was incredibly strong and dean we i mean we've taken a cu- over a couple of hours of your time on a on a dark tuesday night it's been fantastic thank you so much for coming on to the show and just get, having a trip down memory lane although i'm sure you, I mean, you've probably had a lot of opportunities before to revisit those stories but we really appreciate you coming on and uh, and having a chat with us this evening my pleasure
2: enjoyed every moment of it um yeah i love talking about my days at southampton so no problem
1: at all gentlemen we, we hope we we haven't uh you haven't had to repeat yourself too many times and we've we've managed to go on a couple of tangents and and revisited a couple of of memories that you'd maybe um not spoken about for a while or, or maybe forgotten but i think our uh, yeah our listeners will be really really happy to have uh, to have heard from you we're we're, we're glad everything's going well now, post-playing career, you know, we know that you won't be returning to uh, to Worthing for a fourth or a fifth week. But uh, no, you know, good, but luck, good luck with everything. <laughs> <laughs> good luck with everything with the with the the PT, um, Dean Hammond fitness, and it sounds like what you're what you're creating there is is a real good community and is is doing as much as uh, for some people as as you did when you were when you were playing on the pitch. So um, yeah, I hope you keep developing that, and it sounds like the kind of interaction side and everything is going to be um is going to be great and and just as a Southampton fan as well thanks for for those uh for those those memories and uh, and leading the side from the abyss into to the to the big time it's going to be a, a you you say you look back on that as a as a really good moment for your career but I I guarantee you every single saints fan will look back and uh, and never forget that run of those uh, those few seasons so um yeah cheers for everything you did for for the club, mate, and uh, and I really appreciate appreciate you giving us way too much of your time tonight and sharing a bit of your uh, a bit of your thoughts and your experiences, mate. Your top bloke
2: No, thank you very much. Appreciate the kind words, and no, I'm, I like I say I'm the lucky one to play for such a club like Southampton and um, during such a, a brilliant period. So no, love speaking about it. Always happy to help, and um, anytime that anyone wants to speak about it or. Like I say, on my platform wants to have a chat with me um, more than happy. Just just drop me a message. Um, but I'm here to I'm here to help because I've had a lot of help and support in my life from different people. So it's my turn to return the favour.
1: Well, I hope that was as fun to listen to as it was for me. And I'm sure yourself, Tom, to uh, to speak with Dean could have asked him a million more things and gave us some real gems, some real good insight into what was obviously a really successful and good dynamic of a, of a dressing room back in a, in an era that Saints fans would look on with great happiness.
0: Yeah absolutely wonderful times to be a Saints fan I think those promotion years are arguably my favourite as a Saints fan and they actually eclipsed the uh, the Kuman years of playing in Europe it was a real real special time for me as a fan just that was the first time I had a season ticket really so perfect timing we as you said yeah Millions of questions we could have asked if we had the time. We've kept Dean right into the early hours of tomorrow morning, but we've got to let him go and we really appreciate his time. If you want to find Dean on social media, so on there's, there's a fair few. So his personal one on Twitter is at Dean underscore Hammond. His fitness on Twitter is at D Hammond fitness. And his website is www.deanhammondelite.com.
1: And you can also find a lot of Dean's elite fitness uh, content on Dean Hammond Elite Fitness, which you can find both on Facebook and on Instagram. Well worth a uh, well worth a watch, especially if you're looking to to keep fit during these uh, winter months and this lockdown. I uh, hope you enjoyed that content. We certainly enjoyed making it, and we hope uh, you're enjoying it. The written content we've been bringing to you whilst uh, whilst the podcast's been away for a few weeks. We're going to carry on doing that. That's great fun. We've done a few uh, a few bits on um, previews for the games. And uh, our next episode is, uh, is actually being recorded just prior to the Monday night game with Saints and the Premier League obviously returning this weekend. Uh, we've got Wolves Monday night. We've got Mark Stone returning to the, uh, to the podcast and we'll be talking to him, um, all things Saints. And uh, we'll briefly touch on the Wolves game, but of course uh, we'll be recording it before and this will be coming out afterwards. So uh, maybe not any, uh, any silly predictions, Tom.
0: No silly predictions, but, you know, Saints could end Monday night at the top of the league if other results go their way. But we're not going to get too ahead of ourselves. If you have any comments about this episode, anything you want to send to the podcast, and you can find the podcast on Twitter at under underscore Saints. If you have any questions for our next episode for Matt when he comes on, then, of course, go on to Twitter for the same account. If you want to find me on Twitter, my Twitter handle is at T214Murray.
1: You can find me at Callum
0: Wilson twenty one. We hope you enjoy your evening. Thank you very much.